Okay, so we are officially recording. Um, because it is just about seven o'clock, I'm just going to start with a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I first of all would like to give a big shout out to Matt from Vancouver, Josh from Australia, and Kim from our backyard here. Um, these are the crew that have been working very diligently with us to help us with our website to get our forms up and running. Um, I don't know if many of you guys have gone on our website lately, but now we've got some groups forming. Um, if you actually go under the, the wisdom room, you're going to see that we have an Australia group as well as a BC group with the forms starting to, to upload. So we're really making some stride and some headway. So we're really excited about that. So thank you again to our team. We don't pay these guys. They just show up for us and especially Kim and Matt, they've been really pounding away here for us. So thank you for that. Um, I would also like to talk to you guys about um, something special that came up for me about three weeks ago. Uh, Lani Jalera, she's actually an, an all-time best-selling author. She approached me about three weeks ago and she's um, compiling a bunch of Canadian authors to um, compile each a chapter for her book called The Brave, Courage During COVID in Canada. And these are a bunch of truth seekers, justice warriors who were courageous during um, COVID. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me to be able just to tell my backstory in as far as um, who I was before Divergence and exactly what we're doing with Divergence. So it was a wonderful way to kind of get a, a nice uh, advertisement out for us. So thank you very much, Lanny, for um, doing that for me. And as a result of that, Susan Strandfield, she owns a company called Health Justice Tees, and she makes t-shirts. And they send me this, which says brave as fuck and I'm not going to apologize for my language <laughs> because yes I'm very I wear this very proudly so thank you very much um, I just got this in the mail so I wanted to show my support and uh, my gratitude for having that opportunity so um, last night Darren and I were actually having had an interview for, with uh, Chris Rice from Chris Rice TVX um, it was such a pleasure to be on his show we had so many laughs and a great collaboration is coming together we're wanting to bring together a round table of real true seekers such you know people making some headway really wanting to make some change in the world and uh, yes come together and really start to doing that not just talking about it and finding the people that really resonate in that energy so we have a lot of exciting things that are coming down the pipeline you guys um real quick here as well uh fred serena and krista I know you guys are always on our chat. It's really, we've got a massive, and even Andreas, you've got a great um, vocabulary for this as well. If I can ask you guys to once again, take a look at our chat, um, help me monitor it. Because again, I'm trying to deal with, with this guy over here and keep us all on track and get the information out as well as the questions that you guys have answered. So uh, thank you to our teams out there and our leaders that are really showing up for us in our corner. Um, and we appreciate that. So our outline today, you guys, is going to be perfection of interest, conveyance, subrogation, my favorite word, and uh, exoneration. So these are the three topics that Darren is going to be covered. Are covering in the newbie one that we did he printed off 11 pages I think I got him down to about six today so that was good so we can actually get through all this information but what's wonderful is even if we don't get all through all of it we're going to be posting the document that he did up all day for you guys here today so that you guys can go through it it'll be in our wisdom room so you guys can uh, really get your teeth into it hash it out you know really start understanding all of this but Darren this is going to be like we said an advanced course we're not going to be taking baby questions on this one. So for all you advanced ones out there that really want to ask Darren some really deep questions, that's what he's here for. So um, with that, Darren, did you have anything you wanted to say? 
Um, no, again, just uh, again, thanks to everybody so far for the support and the, the, the messages and all the, the courageous efforts that we're all putting forth here. And uh, yeah, we're just going to keep feeding you guys uh, because we are making tremendous progress. Um, as a matter of fact, I think we have a lawyer who is a good friend of a friend of ours here tonight who is actually interested in seeing what we're doing. So again, um, we're not here to entirely bash lawyers. We're not here to bash the legal system. We're not here to do any of these um, conflicting type um, strategies. We're here to settle matters. And if it comes to be that a lawyer may actually be able to provide some assistance in doing what we're doing, I'm entirely not opposed to that. I mean, I know we have been led to believe in the past that, uh, you know, a, a man without standing and status literally has to hire a lawyer to represent his interests. And that's ultimately the way that goes. There's no wiggle room there. However, when a man or a woman is coming into the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom of how to perfect an interest in a security certificate, how to put the secured party into possession of said certificate. I'm actually seeing an opportunity for a lawyer here or, or bar attorneys to actually provide a little bit of assistance. Um, and I'm actually not uh, entirely opposed to doing this. I know we did have a loved one here on the last conversation with the, with the, the newcomer um, event. Um, suggesting that he was hiring uh, or has hired a lawyer uh, or two, and he's in the midst of a, of a you know, a kerfuffle that's going to, you know, have a serious impact on his life. And he was asking if, you know, if it would be wise to fire that lawyer. And, uh, you know, it just kind of came to me that at that moment, this, you know what, we might as well try to have them actually do our bidding for us because do they not act for us? Do they not present information and evidence for us? And even though we have a perfected security interest here and we are doing trust expressions and we're, we're doing all this awesome private equitable stuff, I actually am not opposed to having a lawyer or an attorney here to actually get some hands on and jump in with both feet because you know what? There are a lot of good lawyers out there who actually don't like the system either. They're, they're tired of the corruption and, and all this other stuff. But again, uh, this is where we may actually come in and help to fill some blanks or fill in some voids. Um, I actually have, Dean and I have talked to several lawyers in the past where they are aware of, well, if you didn't want to be liable for that debt, you shouldn't have signed up for a social insurance number. So in the background, they do know, they just don't want to disclose some of these particulars. Because again, if, a, if an attorney is, is kind of caught, like let's say broadcasting, um, let's just call it evidences that may be contrary to the bar system and the bar association, they may be subject to a little bit of penalization or a little bit of, you know, hand slapping this, that, and the other. So again, um, we're, we're at a point right now where we're so solid with our, our, our direction and our approach. I have no problem actually bringing a lawyer in at this point and, and throwing stuff in, into their uh, capable hands just to see what they can do. Because again, they were only acting in our best interests when we had none. <laughs> that was the big point. Again, remember, God creates an heir, heir have property rights, sorry, heirs have property rights. When we're deemed to be public citizens, all that is waived, all that is forfeited. And we're actually going to get into some of this forfeiture of property rights coming up here in this next segment or two. Um, but other than that, no, yeah, we're just going to keep trucking here with what we're doing. Um, I know we are going to have to have more of these Zoom meetings to do the um, exclusive equity and, and the deeper rooted equity um, scenarios, because there is, again, there is so much volume. I mean, I have a Gibson's uh, Suits and Chancery in front of me here, and that's that's it's almost 1,400 pages worth on 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 both sides printed, and these are you know uh, incredible manuals that I cannot really go over in their entirety in a two or three hour segment here. And again, uh, where we're hoping to 
uh, maybe knock this one of the, out of the park here in two hours. But, you know, if we wind up going two and a half or, you know, even three, I mean, that's not, it's not like we haven't done that before. So that's not the end of the world. But just keep in mind, uh, people don't panic because we're not opposed to doing this every week um, or even more frequently than, than that if it's required. Because again, there is just so much substance here to go through. There's no way I can pound through all of it. So what, what, I'm, what I kind of did here tonight is, um, as Jody has mentioned, I just kind of picked the th three of the, the most common or the most prevalent uh, subcategories here of, of what equity jurisdiction is and, and the jurisprudence involved. And again, the perfection of interest. I have been talking about that substantially here for the last you know month or three. So I'm hoping that uh, a lot of you do have either your heads wrapped around what that context it really is. And then we move on to um, the conveyance. The conveyance is just a fancy word for to deliver or put into the possession of or the, the subject matters have landed in the hands of a third party or another party believed capable of dealing with it. So that's all that conveyance really means. It really means that subject A is moving from the possession of this individual to another individual for the whatever you know they're going to do with it. Um, the subrogation, again, that's one of my favorite ones. Again, it's, it's the substitution of positions is essentially what this is. When we come forward and we perfect our interests, we're actually creating a scenario where we can move a title moving the title puts us into a position to be substituted. Just like when you're playing hockey, you know, I used to go out there on a shift and I'd go score two or three, four goals, whatever it was. And in that shift, I'd be super tired. So after two or three minutes of skating my guts out, I'd want to head to the bench. Well, heading to the bench and having another player come on to take my place is technically substitution. Uh, we can relate to that pretty simply. So we'll get into the meat and potatoes of that coming up here. But again, this, the, the subrogation is merely, hey, the surety is coming forward and it's bringing a claim that's suggesting that we're no longer primary li primarily liable. We're suggesting that the crown is primarily liable. Therefore, the surety is actually secondarily liable and the surety can actually make stipulations. The, the surety or the debtor can actually exercise rights to pay off debts, to set off debts, to create mortgages, to create trusts, to do all this stuff, to get ourselves out of the hot seat in terms of being liability for all these debts that were created by the government for us because we didn't know how to perfect our interests when we were 16 years old. So just as a quick overview, that's where we're going to go tonight. Um, like I said, I got Gibson's book in front of me here, and we're just going to let her rip with um, some of the more hardcore language. Um, and again, feel free to you know watch this several times over. And if you're not sure um, what uh, particular words are going to be, you know, feel free to Google that stuff or ask us questions and, you know, we'll just, we'll attack this as one big team. So I think Jody's got something here. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't know if you guys saw in, this, in the chat, Serena's going to help you out with the questions here. So put the questions in the chat. Serena is very well versed in this language. So she will grab the questions that, um, you know, she, she'll know that, uh, and I'll screen them too as well, Serena. So that's great. But yes, put them into the, the box. And again, we have a little bit of an outline. So we want Darren to kind of go through this so that you guys will be able to understand the material that we're going to be posting later. Um, there was also some information that some of you guys don't have Facebook. Um, I do put everything up on our website under my name and on their social wall. We are going to be making an amendment on our, our wall though, so that we have a social wall and then we have a divergence wall so that we can just put our stuff on there. And then the, the social wall doesn't get plugged with who just joined and who's friends and all that kind of stuff. Okay, you guys. So we hear you on that. That seems to be a little bit of a weak link for us. So we're going to, um, we're going to strengthen that up and we're going to have our own page 
page so that at any time you guys can go there and you can see what's coming up, what events are going and what we posted. Okay, excellent. So on that, we're going to move right into this here, Darren. So I'm going to move this up and I'm just going to change my screen here. So just one moment, please. Okay, while Jody's figuring out that, I just want to throw one quick blurb out here. I mean, again, I know this probably should have been done on the newcomers episode, but however, what is equity? <laughs> the early laws of Rome, like the old common law of England, were exceedingly stern and rigid, formal and arbitrary, paying little attention to abstract right and justice. Their judicial proceedings were technical to the last degree. Absolute accuracy was required in complying with the established phrases and acts in the enforcement of civil rights. Any omission or mistake of a word or a movement was fatal. So what we're trying to say here is the common law was so rigid with this technicalities that unless you were a, unless you were a lawyer, you didn't stand a chance. And even then, a lot of lawyers didn't stand a chance. Like it was just that that rigid. Uh, it was no room for interpretation uh, is probably the easiest way to say it. So moving on. So in many of the United States um, states and in England, the procedure by a bill and answer has been supplanted the rigid formulas of the common law sections. Not only were the pleadings thus simplified by the Roman jurists, but the law was correspondingly improved. It was perfected that a system of jurisprudence known as the civil law from which are derived many of the maxims principles and doctrines of equity now followed and enforced in chancery courts. So the king, unable to give personal attention to so many petitions, finally conferred upon the chancellor full authority to give relief in all matters of grace. Let there be done. Whenever the courts of common law were inadequate to the demands of justice, the common law was then utterly incapable of doing complete justice in many cases, and in not a few cases, it furnished no remedy or relief, or relief whatsoever. It had certain rigid molds and formulas into some of which every cause of action had to be cast. And if the cause could not be run into any of these molds, there was no redress or, or remedy whatsoever. And if it could be run into one of these molds, only such redress as the formula could have been had, regardless of the equities of the case and the real rights of the parties. I'm just about done here. The fictions, formalized formalisms, and arbitrary technicalities of the, of the common law and its dialectical refinements were inexplicable and incomprehensible jargon to the public. That means it was just a bunch of nonsense and often was a costly mockery of justice to the litigants. Those who asked for bread were often given a stone and those who applied for a fish sometimes received a serpent. Equity, on the other hand, disregarded forms, ignored fictions, subordinated technicalities to the requirements of justice, and indulged in no dialectical refinements. Its pleadings were simple and natural, and its doctrines were founded upon the eternal principles of right as interpreted by a lofty Christian morality. Its great underlying principles and the constant sources, the never failing roots of its particular rules were the principles of equity, justice, morality, and honesty, enforced according to the conscience and good faith, and so adapted to the requirements of each case and the complications of business affairs that the rights and duties of all the parties were fully determined. So in a nutshell, I mean, I could go on for pages and pages here, but what it's saying is, hey, there was a whole big problem with the at-law common law system. Why? Because it's based in fraud. 
when we didn't know how to perfect our interests, when we didn't know how to manage our own affairs, when we were deemed infants, wards, lunatics, rebels, belligerents, all that debtor stuff, all the, all the, all the bad kind of stuff, the lawyers and the bar association had to literally step up and represent us because we didn't know how to do it for ourselves. So over the course of history here, you know, it has taken a, a, a few, let's call them dark spirited lawyers or attorneys that really sought out to control us through this corporate entity known as the birth certificate. And once we put that birth certificate person over our body, it actually kind of overshadows the equitable doctrines. We had a choice. We were born with the equitable doctrines. And then we actually replaced those when we were 16, when we took that identification and we ran to the social people saying, hey, I want to partake in your system. That ultimately put a cloud over our equities or it literally turned the lights off or put us in a situation where we're no longer even able to use equitable doctrines and jurisprudence. So that's why the legal system proliferated the way it did. Uh, subject to Caesar's rule and Satan's, Satan's little system here, we were forced and bound to participate at a level where we had no understanding. We didn't know what was going on. And again, this is where the bar attorneys had to basically pick up the slack and represent us. But equity is saying, hey, no, 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 no. You guys can actually perfect your interests, come forward in a simple, natural manner, just tweak a few things. Don't come at us with dirty hands. Again, the perfecting of the interest here is, is so paramount. It is the most critical component to getting to the land of safety that Dean and I and many others here have been chasing for decades, really. So divine law of justice. This court was established to do justice regardless of any and all law. <laughs> all right, let me say that one again. This court of chancery was established to do justice it didn't matter if at law was present or not. It didn't matter at, at all. Equity was here first. The king deemed it to be a duty imposed on his conscience, both by his oath and by his religion, to decree justice. And in decreeing justice, he deemed himself bound rather by divine law than by human law. Human law happens as soon as we volunteer to be debtors and we go and apply for that shirt, uh, that, that, um, that, that liability through the social insurance number application, that's where human law starts. And because of our choice, the system can't say, well, you probably made a bad mistake and you should wanna do this. No, the, the system actually has no voice. It, it only reacts to whatever we put into it. So when we say, hey, I volunteer to be liable for all these debts, the system has to say, okay, you're the boss. We're only here to do what you say and what you request. So fixing that problem here, we're gonna get tearing into that here right away. Okay, so with that, I'm going to do a little bit of reading. And we're going to get into this. Here we go. Okay, so section one, to what extent the court acts on presumption. So number one, the court will, the, sorry, the court will not of itself presume a party to have a better title or better claims for equity than the pleadings of the party himself disclose. Therefore, the court is neutral. It doesn't have a clue. When you show up and you answer to that name, you just volunteered and admitted to be the debtor. What this little sentence is saying right here is, hey, if you have a better title or if you have a claim for equity, you better bring it. You better disclose it. You better bring it before the judge so that he may act in, a, in an according manner to actually help you and not subject you to what we were coming from. Um, big, big, big deal. Bring the, bring the evidence to the court. 
Therefore, if relief be sought as hair, as heir, it is necessary to show sufficient facts by statement to demonstrate the plaintiff to be heir, and not merely a descendant or a son, and also to show by statements in the bill sufficient facts to manifest equity sufficient to warrant such relief being granted to him as he claims as heir by the bill. So interesting little section here where it says, hey, you're not just a, des uh, a descendant or a son. You know, we were uh, sons of the creator and daughters of the creator when we were born. However, when we granted all that gift away and chose to serve the public system, we now actually have to come back as heir or co-heir in Christ to actually be redeemed of our wrongdoings. So we, we started out fantastic, but then we took a much turn for the horse when we chose to identify with that, that public identification. I always kind of giggle because I was telling Darren, this is so much like Shakespeare, <laughs> where it's English, but not. So that's why I told Darren when he was kind of going through this with me, he was breaking down every third or fourth or word for me. And it was just so easy then for me to absorb the language and understand it. So that's why I think it's great that he's doing this for you guys as well. So number two, the court of itself will not presume that a fact which has been proved to have occurred or to exist has ceased to be in existence or has become more injurious unless provided to be so by proper evidence. So there you go. What that's saying is, hey, the record shows that we abandoned an interest at birth. Mom and dad didn't perfect it. We had several opportunities to come in and perfect it. We didn't do that. And now we're in a situation where all this burden, all this hardship has actually become injurious to us. It's like, we're getting our asses kicked out here. And unless we prove with proper evidence to the court why we shouldn't be subjected to all this bad stuff, you're going to have to live with it. So really, really important, this whole evidentiary chain of events, this, this perfecting, this conveyance, this notice of interests, and all these, all these uh, equities that we're bringing to the table are super important. And again, when, when we're, we're talking about the bill here, we're actually talking about a bill in equity. A bill in equity is essentially a pleading. Um, the pleading is just you uh, establishing your claim, your adverse claim. Uh, and again, we had someone there the other day online suggesting that, you know, pleading is begging. Okay, well, you might want to, you know, you might agree with that. And here's why. Because you are a public citizen and because you have no property rights, because you are dead and deemed lost at sea, you actually don't have the ability to bring anything to the table publicly. So we actually have to prove why we are entitled. That's a key word here is how or what process did we uh, contemplate to prove to a court of competent jurisdiction why you deserve mercy and grace. Okay, so we're going to move again. We're not going to be reading over everything here. The things that are in blue will be for you guys to read over a little bit later. So sure. we're just going to jump over to the red here. So the Darren's highlighted the red because this is these are points that he wants to hit and really kind of bring home for you guys. So for instance, the court on sufficient facts being established in the case will presume as a consequence from such facts that a ought to dot 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 is entitled to dot 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 may is in fault as to should must not being or because such a writing as is a and imports and therefore is absurdity in law and is also uncertain illegal therefore b is to have and this is entitled to possession of 
please make sense <laughs> of that. So, okay. So this is, this is just kind of a generic kind of a format where, you know, we could come in here and say, um, as a consequence from such, what's, I don't know what that's, that's that other way. So, uh, as a consequence from such facts, well, what would that consequence be? Well, Your Honor, I perfected an interest in my security certificate and that the secured party ought to credit my securities account. And I am therefore entitled to reimbursement on disposition that's attached to a trust and may enjoy such as the beneficiary because the secured party or the crown is in fault as to being the debtor. Why? Because of the subrogation, we just switched the tables around. They should do and act in good faith. They must not, you know, breach trust, act absent good faith or do, you know, bad things because such a writing as a trust is, you know, enforceable in a court of equity and it imports all the duties and obligations that are owed unto the beneficiary by the settler coming forward to settle this estate. And therefore it is an absurdity at law and is also uncertain where until you perfect the interests, we are unable to avail ourselves. And unfortunately the at-law common law system does not provide any remedy for us to perfect this stuff. So again, you're gonna come up to a little point here uh, coming up here soon where we start talking about merger and merger, it basically says merger cannot happen at law only. It needs the equitable doctrines and the equitable jurisprudences to go with the at law to perfect our interests. So we're still kind of using some statutes here and some at law procedural elements, but these are the elements that are dripping with all the equitable doctrines. Um, and that's kind of what's taken us years to really be able to see. Again, we call that having equity eyes. Um, I can flip through, you know, a hundred pages of acts and statutes and pick out the three or four primary uh, subsections that are just littered or, or just saturated with the equity. You can literally dismiss the rest of it, but just home in on the equity stuff. So. Okay, next point, section five. So again, um, like we mentioned, we're going to talk about the perfection of interests and then we're going to take questions. So Serena is texting me some, we are taking note of them. So as soon as we get through this, then we'll, we'll take some questions. Yeah. Here. And as a matter of fact, I mean, the three dots coming up here after this next section, we'll actually maybe entertain a handful of questions and then we'll just continue from there. Excellent. So number five, the court of itself will presume that each party knows the law and what is equity if not shown to be an infant, lunatic, or incapacitated person, but that every party is ignorant of a fact till such fact is shown to be his own act or part of his proper duty, or that he had afforded him proper opportunity for taking notice of such fact. Okay, so there you go. Opening segment here. <laughs> the court will presume that each party knows the law and what is equity. Now, this is where we fell apart. We literally couldn't avail ourselves because 10, 15 years ago, Dean and I and others, we kind of knew what equity was, but we had no idea how to actually implement it or actually how to enforce it. So if you don't know what equity is, you better be sticking to the legal system and cross your fingers, hire the lawyer and, and you know hope for the best. But again, you might be asking for a fish and chances are you're going to get a serpent. So the judges and, and the judiciary, the, the, the system here is telling us, hey, the common law or the outlaw is part of this, but you better get your head wrapped around what equity is. 
Because as long as you're not an infant, a lunatic, a belligerent, a rebel, and all those other incapacitated persons, there is no excuse for us literally not to know what equity is. I mean, the Bible talks about it a fair bit. Mom and dad were supposed to know about this stuff. Grandma and grandpa should have told our mom and dad this stuff. But you know what? There was, the balls were dropped. Again, as I was mentioning in the newcomer video, a couple world wars and a drought would certainly change everybody's uh, desire to go to the library and read 1500 page books on equity when nobody even really knew what it was back in the day. So again, just to reiterate the significance of knowing, hey, the court is assuming that you already know what equity is when you walk in. And if you choose to waive it, if you choose to not enforce it, if you choose to not uh, bring any of these defenses uh, accordingly, that's to your fault and to your own peril. It's not up to the judge to say, well, you know, instead of watching football on Sundays, you might want to start reading law books and equity books. I mean, the, the judges in the system are never going to say that to us. So, so there you go. There's, there's a fantastic example of why we fail at law because we're dropping the ball with our equity doctrines that we actually had no idea we were supposed to be using. So. Okay, so let's take a couple questions here. Uh, thank you again, Serena, for sending me these. This is wonderful. Um, Andreas has a question. Are we using judges as a proxy for us to process our securities? Absolutely. The judge is the one who actually can deal, who can appoint new trustees, personal representatives, account receivers, all these things. The judges are the ones who know the system in the background. They're actually going to be your advocate. Again, they're in a neutral position. They can't help you, though, until we come forward and we present some of these evidences like we were just mentioning. Once we do that, once we establish enough credentials to start changing the record, that's when the judge will actually literally probably get up leave the courtroom and come back as James and Josh and, you know, uh, Beverly or, or and Jackie and, and some of these other uh, individuals or have been experiencing that um, the equity can't mix with the public system though. So kind of roll in, like I've been saying, drop your equitable defenses and expect to actually lose at law. It, Caesar is still going to find you guilty, even though you just stood there and you said all the right stuff. Why? Because we didn't technically get our stuff taken care of prior to the court case. So now that we're having to stand before a judge, that's actually going to be more difficult. If we actually can perfect our stuff and transfer that interest before we ever go to court, show the judge evidences of all that stuff, then you will never, ever have to go to court again. The problem is, is that we're not using our equities. We're not perfecting our interests, and we're showing up to court in a, in a, in a manner where we are actually kind of at a bit of a disadvantage. So again, do not expect to win publicly. I mean, that happens so rarely, it's not even funny. They're just gonna throw their hands up in the air, adjourn the matter, come back in 30 days or whatever. But what that's actually doing is when the judge adjourns for 30 days, like in James's case here the other um, the last week, he's giving James another 30 days to bring the evidence properly, privately, so that he can actually come forward and extinguish that public at-law case later. So are the judges a proxy? Yeah, they're absolutely, they're a proxy. They literally become your best friend. Um, the, the robe is gone, right? Like they're actually sitting there in their Sunday clothes, or you're, you're sitting in chambers now at this point where the whole public system is not actually even allowed into chambers and we highly recommend that we don't bring a lot of public stuff into chambers. Again, wrap all this stuff in the, in, in the equitable doctrines primarily uh, and be careful with that because we've actually had some scenarios where um, a gentleman or lady was in there, you know, they were doing well, doing well, doing well. And then they kind of started to veer off and go down the public venue and the judge is just kind of sitting there doing this, you know, not really even saying anything, just kind of shaking his head or he's doing this. 
uh, you know, these subtle clues that are supposed to be there to let us know, oh, oh, I'm on the right track. Uh, Your Honor, let me add and amend that statement uh, or correct it, whatever. Point is, yes, they are our friends and we should treat them as such. Don't roll into court throwing grenades at them and, you know, be professional, be courteous, be respectful because they are actually, they do want to help us, but they can't help us until we help ourselves first. Okay. Thank you, Andreas. Fred, if I have a BC authenticated provincially order in council and federally global affairs, a PNOB also authenticated, must I surrender them as well? What do I do with them and of what value is having them? Yeah, I would, I would absolutely just kind of bundle all that stuff up uh, all at once. And the authentication process is kind of proving this. Who has the authority to authenticate? Well, the owner does. I can't go and authenticate something that doesn't belong to me. So by them actually uh, authenticating provincially and then, excuse me, federally at the, at the level of global affairs, they are actually right there admitting, hey, this is our name. This is our organization. This is our entity. This is our person, which is why we're the only ones uh, you know, authorized to authenticate it, which is kind of cool. Is it all necessary to do that? We used to think so back in the day, but you know what? I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of at the point where I'm throwing it out there that I'm not going to submit um, the duly authenticated stuff just because I wanted to try it with the simple regular birth certificate that we're carrying around in our pocket every day. Um, the fact that we had to go and special order that live birth record or the physician's notice of, uh, of birth. Um, and because we had to go through all that authenticating process, that's a whole bunch of stuff that I, you know, is it effective? Probably. Is it necessary? I don't know. I'm going to suggest it may not be. Um, all these extra steps that we had to do, I'm thinking that we don't have to. You literally just take one of those things, put on that adverse claim, attach the one piece of legislation, endorse it specially, do not ever leave it endorsed in blank. I mean, you can, as long as you leave instructions saying, hey, I'm, I'm stipulating or I'm providing power to whoever is going to receive this instrument to go ahead and process it or deal with it effectively. Um, again, back in the day when Dean used to write on there, you know, accepted for value that doesn't really transfer an interest. That just kind of, that's kind of a limbo statement. It doesn't really do much or it doesn't really afford us a lot of remedy down the road, which is why it kind of, you know, it sounded great, but it kind of had a short lived run where, you know, it may have initially had a little bit of traction and had some results, but then it kind of just faded and the courts just started bouncing it right away because accepting for value technically to me does not perfect an interest in it. So I should just surrender them, yeah. including the PNOB, with consideration yeah. like I did to all the other versions. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, go ahead, just basically bundle all those up. You can refer to them in your affidavit. Uh, my my LBR, my PNOB, my small birth certificate. You can literally just evidence all those on a schedule that's attached to an affidavit and just perfect an interest overall and send all that off as a package. Because again, like I was mentioning there the other night, we are supposed to actually relinquish uh, or, or send back uh, any other securities that we have floating around out there because the system does not want duplicate titles floating around out there after this all goes through. It could cause confusion later. So they're actually pretty sticky with that. But yeah, go ahead, send all those out uh, the way we're talking about doing. Uh, don't keep any of them. Uh, there's, there's no point. Um, they're gonna, like, again, we just had recently come back from the Registrar General where he kept all the documents, all the perfected interest. He, they're in possession, huge victory right there but they sent the silver coin back. They literally untaped it from the, from the certificate and sent it back. To me, that's, just, that's still a victory. Why? Because they sending back the consideration means that they are 
uh, acknowledging that something has transferred, something has moved. The, the, the status is evolving. There's, there's something happening in the background. So he's now just coming forward and saying, just improve your technique, improve your procedures just a little bit. Why? Because I don't have the authority to deal with this for you. You're going to have to go to the judge and do it. Ah, okay, perfect. Uh, so should I, oh, oh sorry about using PNOB as yep. physician's notice of live birth. Yep. So surrender those things to the RG or in court, or it doesn't matter. I would, you know what, let's just, let's just, I'm going to start skipping the RG here altogether and we're just going to start going right to court. Okay, I yield. Yep. Okay, excellent. So we've got four questions coming in here from Almog. So if we can keep the answers a little bit short so we can get through. Oh, okay. Thank you. If we enter the court by stating that we are here under duress, will that make the process void? No. If you were actually that duress, you would have perfected your interest and sent that in. Standing there saying, oh, help me, help me, help me. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm being attacked. The judges are saying, well, yeah, you, you're being attacked because you're carrying around an imperfect title in your pocket and you volunteered to be surety for it and you don't know how to assign any interest. So suffer until you figure it out. Can we add stamps to the documents, such as Postmaster General, not to be endorsed or anything else recommended? Uh, the stamps are okay. Yeah, once you put that diagonal line through it, and you're kind of, that's actually kind of a mini assignment right there. When you're suggesting, uh, here's who I am, this is what I'm doing, you're writing it right on the stamp. And when you cross that line through it, that's actually deemed to be a negotiated stamp, which means it's processed, which means it has a, a bona fide value attached to it. And because it's attached to a simple contract, does it provide the valuable consideration? Absolutely it does. But again, just remember, just remember to try your best to get one of these stamps that are either silver backed or gold backed. The typical legal tender backed stamps don't cut it. Okay. Now, what numbers do you use from the birth certificate on the documents to the court? Some birth certificates around the world only have one number, such as an ID number, whereas some have several numbers. Yes, just use them all. Whatever yours has, just use them all. We actually technically don't even know what these numbers represent. Yeah, the number on the, the special number on the back on the small birth certificates. Yeah, we've come to appreciate that that's the QCIP number. The registration number. Yeah, okay, that's the number that's that that uh, identifies an event that was recorded or registered either through vital statistics, statistics or land titles. Um, that serial number on there that some of them do have. That's just another commercial number that's used to catalog or maintain. Um, the accounting uh, doctrines that they run by. But I wouldn't be afraid to just literally put all these numbers down and then your bases are covered. It doesn't matter. As soon as you, as soon as you perfect the interest in that one single registration number, that effectually captures or encapsulates the entire system of what we're trying to do here. So every birth certificate is gonna have at least one number on it, like you were just mentioning. Use them all, use one or yeah, it's, it's totally whatever is already on I that certificate. Should I call them all by their names? For example, if they say uh, identification number, serial number, I just yeah. put them by their own name? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Just exactly the way the they have it on the certificate, just mimic that or, or just copy that exactly. Then that way there's no, in, there's no room for interpretation or there's no room for error, really. Okay. Yeah, and about the previous okay. questions, sorry, just uh, the previous question was about uh, ink stamps, not the note, not postage. Oh, stamps. okay. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can go ahead and use those two or just handwrite it, whatever, whatever you like to do. Uh, handwriting from the plaintiff or the defendant is actually preferred in equity. So 
feel free to scribble stuff all over stuff. I mean, we've actually had our, our colleague in the, in the United States there that I've mentioned a few times that I can't mention his name, but when they, when they have their finished documents, you know, they got, they got circles and arrows and they got highlights and they got stuff. I mean, that's actually the substance that the judges are looking for. That's actually telling the judiciary uh, peoples that, Hey, look at them evolving their paperwork. This perfection is kind of a continuing thing. Um, as we come into new knowledge or we become aware of something tangible that we didn't know three days ago, go ahead, take a red pen and write it in the margin. Go ahead. It's, it's our paperwork. Go ahead and fill it in. Adding and amending the contract or the security agreement is a right that we reserve and we should be feeling free to exercise it whenever we desire. How do we drive without a driver's license until we receive our new identification? That's actually the boat I'm in right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So if you've done the, uh, the land titles process or the personal property security registry process, if you've gotten uh, that particular little piece of paper as an output that suggests, oh, this party is now doing this, this party is now doing this under these terms and conditions, and you have control numbers, you have special identifier numbers, you have uh, a date stamp right to the second of when your interest was actually recorded, go ahead and use that piece of paper in replace of a driver's license. And I know this works for a fact. I, I drove through a big check stop in uh, just outside of Winnipeg probably four years ago um, with another friend of mine who actually may even be on this call. I did not produce a driver's license to show the RCMP officer. I whipped out my birth certificate. I did not have a silver coin to it and I didn't even have any writing on it. But what I had in my right hand was the Bible. So between the two, I was able to drive a, drive right through a check stop. And they had the big bus and they had the flares on the ground and 20 officers, you know, a dozen vehicles pulled over. It was one of the big check stops. And, you know, the, the officer was a little bit rude and belligerent in the beginning when I told him I didn't have a, a driver's license. And he told me, okay, go, go pull over there. We're going to tow your vehicle. And within five minutes, we were driving away. So you don't need to be producing that driver's license if you have the mindful capacity to replace it with something. And it's the joinder. When we're not admitting to be that driver's license, we are actually putting them into the defensive position. We are actually asserting our equitable doctrines by saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to identify as that thing because that's what you want me to do. And I know you're just trying to trick me into admitting that. So I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to exercise another option and I'm going to throw this at you. And he actually had to come back and say, well, because you're not identifying through a driver's license, I'm forced to let you go. I said, I know. Thank you. Have a good evening. And we drove away. So perfect. Hey, hey Darren. Yeah. I just want to say something. Uh, remember how I said last time that I got um, driving after I did my, uh, was full of driving disqualifieds. Um, that night, I forgot to tell you last time, that night after court, I got pulled over around the corner from my house. <laughs> and I told the officers, um, yeah that I just finished court, um, you know, I got a $200 fine, that was it. And then he got onto the phone to the, um, to the sergeant and the sergeant um, told him to leave me alone. And I didn't get, I never heard, I never heard back from him for driving no license. They yes. didn't tow away my car ah. and all of that stuff. And it, in it, yeah, it was the same night that after the day I had court. So wow. perfect, my friend. Is again, it a coincidence or is it something more no, than I, that? You know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's not a coincidence, not at all. The yeah. fact that you perform that thing, <laughs> that's the game changer, my friends. 
You could literally change your life right now by assigning that interest to the secured party, adding that one chunk of legislation, endorsing it, especially like I was just saying, make sure you put the adverse claim on there. We're going to go over the adverse claim here in a moment, and it's going to come to be very clear why the adverse claim is important. So you just put five or six or seven of these variables onto that certificate itself. That actually constitutes a security agreement right there. How can you be liable for something that you've assigned to another party? Uh-uh. And that assignment happens the moment you put pen to plastic. And that wasn't perfected. So I guess perfecting it will make it stay then. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You betcha. Awesome. Very cool. Last question here. Um, are you deeming applications as securities as well? Uh, applications, let's say, okay, are you making an application for anything? Yeah, absolutely. It can be turned into a security. Why? As soon as you identify that paperwork to be trust res and you identify it to be trust res by taking your registered mail number that you use to convey that interest and the security to either the sheriff, the courthouse, the registrar general, the attorney general, whoever, grandma, whoever you sent it to, take that registered mail number or uh, what is it in the States? Uh, um, I forget what it is in the States, but, but whatever. You take that nine digit number, that can actually become a trust identifier number. Now put that number on all the things you make applications for. That way, who's ever receiving that application, they can look at it and go, oh, this individual is expressing trust elements that I actually how now have to actually give extra consideration to the paperwork. I can't just throw it into that bin. I actually have to do other stuff with this. So again, expressing these trust trust conditions right on any application that you that you make whatsoever, go ahead and, and apply it right there. But just remember, don't be using your surname on these applications. Jonathan hyphen protected purchaser, Samantha hyphen security entitlement holder, Settlor. Again, don't bring beneficiary into the public just yet. We'll we'll save that one for later. But again, there's heir, subrogee, uh, th there's grantee, grant. Like there's there's a a lot of titles that we can be attaching to our name that are going to serve us way better than the surname. Okay, so we're going to go back to our material here. We'll go back to some more questions in a little bit. Okay, so this is the next section that we're going to be moving to. Okay, which is section two and in respect to conveyance of interest and its importance. So under personal property deposited or held in trust, number one, all personal property, including money or securities for money, deposited with or held in trust by any person in the province, which remains unclaimed by the person entitled thereto for 12 years from the time when the property, money, or securities were first payable, notwithstanding that the depositee or trustee has delivered or paid or transferred that personal property, money or securities to any person or official within or without the province as depositee or trustee vests in and is payable to. Sir, okay, so we'll just kind of- There's no periods in yeah, these sentences. And They're the longest run on sentences in the world. And again, these aren't my words. These, these are me cut and pasting <laughs> these right out of, you know, the, the legislation from parliament that's coming down the pipe. Okay, so what this is really talking about is, hey, they're actually saying that, okay, after the birth event, we had this security, it was deposited somewhere, 
by our mom and dad filling out the information that was provided in that physician's notice of birth, which now yields the birth certificate. Nobody perfected an interest in that thing for you know up to 12 years here. And at that time, the money and the securities were actually payable, payable to Her Majesty the Queen in right of the province or in right of the state or wherever it is that you're in. So when we come forward, and we have something deposited with the province or the trustees, it's vested, it's payable to Her Majesty in the right of the province, it's subject to her pleasure with respect to any claim thereafter, that's you coming along later in life and making your adverse claim, made by any person claiming to be what? To be entitled to the property, the money, or the securities. So they're just saying there, hey, chances are no one's going to do this within the 12 years, but you can always come back later and make your adverse claim, file it, record it, lodge it properly, get it before the judge, and watch what starts to happen. It's a it's an incredible process that's unfolding here for us. Now, this is a follow-up to something called the Escheats Act. The Escheats Act coming up is basically saying hey, because of the abandoned interest at birth, the Minister of Justice may walk in and take possession of the forfeited property. Another word for forfeited is abandoned, escheated. That basically is, those terms are synonymous. So it's going on to say that, hey, where any lands, now again, we just keep in mind what the word lands means. It means everything. It means an idea. It, it means dirt. It means, um, you know, the kitchen sink. It means your your computer. It literally means everything. So when we abandon that interest, we now come back because it's forfeited. Nobody perfected our interest in that thing our whole lives. It is literally deemed to be forfeited. The Minister of Justice now rolls in. He scoops it up. He makes a little claim for it. And he actually now is in a position to administrate us for our, if you want to call it benefit, although it's not a benefit at all. Um, and he's actually making a claim for the recovery without an inquisition being made first. Now, what that's saying is, hey, because you've abandoned this thing, there doesn't need to be an inquisition to find out why. You're already gone. You're like lost. They're not going to come looking for you to find out, hey, why is it that you abandoned that interest? Again, they're not going to do that for us. This is part of the, the trap or the snare or the journey for us to become light workers is, is a pretty nice way to sum that one up. So so now rolling into proceedings, and I'll let Jody continue here. Okay, so we'll go into the this section. Oh, sorry. Yep. It's right there. Yep. So proceedings number two, the proceedings in the action may be in all respects similar to those in other actions for the recovery of land. Okay, so here's, here's what I'm trying to illustrate with this. So we got a little situation brewing in the background between the Minister of Justice and the Lieutenant Governor, they're actually looking after our interests, because mom and dad didn't perfect it for us. So they actually have a proceeding similar to one for the recovery of land, similar because it's not actually a recovery for land, but it's similar. Why? And again, they're just acting on our, in our behalf because we've abandoned it. So they are actually bringing uh, a motion or an action behind closed doors. We never even really hear about this. And this is where the guardian and trustee ward kind of scenario and relationship starts to become prevalent. But again, they're, what they're doing here, we're actually gonna come forward and do something very similar. We are actually gonna make a recovery for, for, for land we are actually gonna to try to recover on a security certificate as the plaintiff. So we're actually just kind of mimicking what they did, but we're gonna do it with a perfected interest and just reclaim what we kind of 
or our mom and dad kind of threw away for us at birth because they didn't know what was going on. You want me to read this, right? Yes. Is it escheated? Escheated, yeah. Escheated. Learned a new word today. Now, the government, if authorized by any order of the lieutenant governors in council, may make any grant of lands, tenements, is that where I say it? Mm -hmm. Or paradigments. Another new word <laughs> that have so in cheated or become forfeited or at any time so as cheat or become forfeited for any cause except crime or any portion thereof or of any interest therein to any person for the purpose of transferring or restoring them to any person having legal or moral claim upon the person to whom they have belonged. Okay, so they're saying, hey, we're going to manage this stuff for you in the background. And when you feel competent enough to bring either a legal claim or a moral claim, we will restore you of the forfeited, cheated estate, and we will put you in a position where you can benefit and enjoy it huge excellent without entry or prior inquisition any such grant may be made without actual entry or inquisition being first necessary and although the lands tenements or hereditaments <laughs> are not in actual possession of the crown notwithstanding that some person claims title thereto adversely to the person whose estate they have been okay this one is excellent because it's suggesting they have put this on the shelf for us in the background. We come forward making our adverse claim, there it is right there, to the estate that it actually did belong to us. It, it, it belonged to us our whole lives. It just got hidden in the background. Now, here's a, just a quick little way to explain this. We've always had our equitable title, our equitable interest. That was never really in the possession of the crown which is what we are talking about here. These things are not in the actual possession of the crown. We have always had them. But what happened was, is that this legal title came along and it literally covered over our equitable interests. Now, all you see is this candy coated legal stick and you don't see the equitable stuff hiding underneath it, which is why we need to rinse off that legal title, that 100% security interest and do what with it? Transfer it to the secured party, transfer it to the new debtors, deliver it to the new registered owners. Super, super important. Okay, so number five, when a for forfeiture. Yeah, where forfeiture. Oh, sorry, where forfeiture takes place of any lands, tenements, or hereditaments. Right? Yep. <laughs> or any interest therein, as foresaid, the lieutenant governor in council may waive or release any right to which the crown may thereby have become entitled. So as by the waiver or release to vest the properly the property, either absolutely or otherwise, in persons who have been entitled thereto, but for the forfeiture and the waiver or release may be either for value consideration or otherwise, and may be upon such terms and conditions as to the Lieutenant General, 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 General wow, Lieutenant Governor, Governor. <laughs> in council may seem fit. Okay, so this one's pretty important because it's suggesting, hey, once we do come forward and we do bring our moral adverse claim that the Lieutenant Governor, who's actually taken the chancellor type powers and granted them to the judges, as soon as we bring our claim to the judges, they will vest that legal title, that security interest in those new debtors, those, those new secured party individuals, 
they are going to be liable for the debt now. And for the persons who would have been entitled there to, that's us, but for the forfeiture, again, so we, we weren't able to come claim this thing because we didn't even realize we forfeited the thing to begin with. So it's kind of a bit of a conundrum there that we have gone through over the last 20 years trying to actually figure out what has truly transpired here. Again, it's been a quagmire of nothing but misinformation, disinformation, no information, like all kinds of formations that have led us astray. So the fact that we have now come forward, the lieutenant governor through the judges are suggesting that they will waive or release any interests that the crown was holding. Because why? Because a, bear, a beneficiary or an heir to the cheated legal estate has actually come forward and expressed their adverse claim. Again, another super important one. Okay, so under assigned personal property, <clears throat> number six, the government, if authorized by an order of the lieutenant governor in council, may make an assignment of personal property to which the crown is entitled by reason of the person last entitled thereto having died into state and without leaving any kin or other persons entitled to succeed thereto or by reason of having become forfeited by the crown for any reason except for crime or if so authorized, the government may make an assignment of any portion of such personal property for the purpose of transferring or restoring it in any person or restoring it to any person having a legal or moral claim upon the person to whom it had belonged. You want me to keep going? Yeah, sure. Or for carrying into effect any disposition thereof that that person, person yep. may have contemplated or of rewarding the person making the discovery of the right to the crown to the property. Okay, a lot going on in this one. It's a bit of a double up um, or a little bit of overlap with the two before it, where it's suggesting, hey, even though someone has died intestate, that was one way that they would typically run this system and provide the remedy, but we are living. When you die intestate, that's just saying that you didn't leave a will. You didn't appoint any executors, successors, assigns. You just were like blank. You didn't do anything. So then the court would literally step in and through letters of administration and a probate process and all this stuff, they would actually administrate the estate for you because you actually didn't appoint anybody to do it in your absence. So even though it has become forfeited to the crown for any cause, and again, it was forfeited to the crown because it was abandoned. Mom and dad didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to deal with this thing. So it goes on to say that the government may make an assignment of any personal property. That is actually touching on the fact that, hey, we should be making the assignment here. We are in possession of that security certificate. We're the ones that are supposed to admit that second signature, which literally settles everything. And then we are supposed to put that thing into the possession of the proper parties, either by a legal or a moral claim by who those, uh, what would the word be? All the entitlements were actually owed to us. So all they're doing is they're just waiting for us to come forward and, and deal with this. Again, um, carrying into effect any disposition, that's a very important word, there of that, that the person may have contemplated. Contemplated means I thought about it. Your Honor, I've been trying to think about this. I've been contemplating all this equity stuff for a year and a half. And even though I don't have it all figured out, uh, this is what I got. And I know for a fact that you're still going to come to my aid as my advocate and help me deal with all this subject matter because I have made an effective assignment. I have put the security interests into the possession of the secured party. Those two alone get the job done. 
And here's a, here, I love the way this finishes or of rewarding the person for making the discovery. Okay. If we're deemed to be a ward of the estate, a lunatic, a ward, an enemy, a belligerent, when the guardian ward trusteeship happens because we abandon our interest, what do you think happens under the term of a reward? That means somebody else is now the ward. So reward is here's your prize for winning the whatever the what is it you just you just conquered or you just won. But the reward right there, I love that word because it's actually suggesting, hey, we're about to appoint some new trustees. Beautiful. I love that one. Okay. So now we're going to be jumping up to this Minister of Finance may administer a state. So the Minister of Finance may administer the estate to any deceased person whose property has been as cheated or been forfeited to the crown. So that is suggesting, hey, because again, we didn't come forward, we didn't perfect our interest. The Minister of Finance now, in conjunction with the Attorney General in the background, I mean, I know I didn't say that right there, but the Minister of Finance is now going to roll through and administrate this entire estate for the rest of your life because you're not doing it. As soon as we do it, we take our control back. We appoint the proper parties to be the proper executors, administrators, not the beneficiaries, although they do kind of get kind of a benefit in the background. Be, again, but we're not going to confuse the issue here. Um, we're actually suggesting here that the Minister of Finance is going to look after all this stuff. Once we put him into the possession of all these particulars and all these subject matters, him and the Attorney General and the judge, all they're all going to work as a team in the background to actually benefit us the way we were supposed to have been our whole lives. Well, good thing we're getting on it now and not, you know, a year or 10 years from now. So power to us. Meaning of is cheated law in England before 1926. The revision of property to the crown in the absence of legal heirs is cheat the power of a state to acquire title to property for which there is no owner. Bona vacantia when there's no owner to the property. What happens to the property? Does it just stay in limbo? Does no one get to enjoy it? What happens? Well, no, the state will literally roll in now, take control of everything until you're ready to do it. That's Essentially, all that they're saying there, uh, until the legal heir or the, the appropriate heir shows up with the appropriate claims, an adverse one, um, they're just going to roll through the system like they do, just looking after our interests, although that's actually taxation, sickness, and death. So <laughs> we, we're, we're going to want to get dealing with that sooner than later. Meaning of issuer with respect to a registration of a transfer of a security means a person on whose behalf transfer books are maintained and b the person's duty to perform an obligation represented by the security certificate so there you go so the issue is actually obligated they sent us something that could be valuable if it's completed if it's not completed if it's not perfected the thing is literally like you know blow your nose with it or go apply downstream and, and, and make application for a driver's license where you want to be subject to all those statutes and codes, which we don't want to do. So a sheeted is just another word for forfeited. It's saying, hey, because of that abandonment, abandonment at birth, it's now deemed as sheeted and it's going to sit over here in trust until you figure it out. That trust, again, that's the implied trust. It's the temporary trust. It's the, it's the one that's just barely getting the job done until we come forward and we express the permanent trust for our benefit, if you want to call that an inter vivos trust or a trust for the living or a life estate, or there's a multitude of uh, terms that we can be using to describe that right there. But 
So now these transfer books are held and maintained to identify securities moving back and forth. This is what constitutes the record. Because you haven't transferred an interest in that security certificate, the record actually shows that it's abandoned. And the record actually shows that you went on to volunteer to become the, the, uh, the liable party, uh, a surety holding an imperfect title with no actual property rights whatsoever. So again, we're all here. We're here to fix all these and correct these problems. Okay. Here's the merger. Okay, we were talking about this in number 14. There is no merger by operation of law only of any estate, the beneficial interest in which would not be deemed to be merged or extinguished in equity. So what they're saying here, again, now this is why the common law fails us because the common law cannot merge these titles. It can't because the common law is built on fraud because we are the ones that committed the fraud causing the entire legal system to come about. If we had perfected these interests at birth, mom and dad, if we all had done this, you know what? There actually wouldn't be a need for the legal system whatsoever. But no merger can happen by common law alone. This is what I was alluding to earlier. We actually have to take a whole bunch of equitable doctrines, equitable jurisprudence, maxims, all that good knowledge, mix it with a little bit of common law to effectually create the merger. Now, again, this is where the common law doesn't even allow this process to happen. That's why the common law cannot, com cannot provide complete justice. It's, it's like it's off on its own doing its own little thing. It needs help. And that's where equity actually will roll in and help fill in all the voids. Although, again, equity, although the maxim says equity follows the law, Equity follows the law because the law makes such a mess of things. Why? Because we didn't know what to do. And we are actually the proponents behind the mess. So don't, you know, don't misconstrue that as me saying that the system's bad and they're all out to get us and it's all dishonorable. No, we are the ones that actually acted dishonorably in the first place. My brother would disagree with that. He would say, yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know. And fraud vitiates all and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? That was the whole point of our lives was to come into a greater wisdom of through scripture and, and understanding what being a surety actually means. Um, we're going to get into surety a little bit more here um, when we start talking about subrogation and exoneration. The surety uh, position is really important. And although the Bible said, don't be surety for a stranger, we all did, unfortunately. And just a question along that. Um, common law cannot see a beneficial interest therefore how can it merge legal and beneficial titles it can't that's what we just said you need a little bit of equity to come along and help that merger along uh, the outlaw system cannot do it it can't see the beneficial interest just like you said so if it can't see something how's it going to pro provide any remedy to it it can't so hey your honor look at my equitable doctrines look at my defenses look at my position look at my you know my endorsement look at my trust expression all that stuff that's where you can't even create that stuff at law so how are you going to get any remedy when it, that, that the at law system won't even recognize any of the remedies that you're trying to do <laughs> and can another person administer for another person so for instance can a person take care of her mother's estate oh yeah absolutely you can just step in as the appropriate person if you can provide any privity and by privity, they're just saying any relationship whatsoever, whether it's your mom, your grandma, your best friend, uh, a neighbor down the street, um, it doesn't matter as long as you can prove to the judge, I have some type of a relationship with this person. This person has now become incapacitated. I'm going to step forward as the appropriate individual, and I'm going to start settling their estate for them. It's absolute, that flies in equity. At law and in common law, not so much. 
They want you to have all these powers of attorneys in place first. They want you to have all these all this probate kind of stuff in place first. When equity is saying, no, we don't need to do that. If you come with clean hands and honorable intentions, we can exercise all kinds of judicial uh, um, discretions to privately settle this because uh, Mrs. Smith here is in a coma and she can't do it. So Mrs. Smith's best friend could or next friend could literally come in and manage her affairs for her. Okay. All right. So Serena, I saw you did a big chunk of uh, questions there for me. I don't know if you're going to text those to me so I can make sure we hit all of them. But um, let's deal with land to be dealt with in the same as chattels. Same way. Yep. Uh, real. So subject to section 36 of the Wills Act, an enactment and rules of law relating to the effect of probate or letters of an administration, respecting chattels real, respecting the dealing with chattels real before probate or administration. You know what? Yeah, just me cutting in here right quick. What they're suggesting here is, hey, before the letters of administration process starts or the probate system starts and all that stuff, again, that's dealing with abandonment issues and it doesn't really even ever cure the abandonment. Why? Because no one steps forward to claim or to correct that abandoned position. So chattels real is just another word for the paper instrument or the birth certificate itself. So this is saying before we get going with all that other stuff, we should just kind of come in secretly. We should come in privately. We should deal with all these matters to settle this estate without all this public influence. Okay. And respecting the payment of costs of administration and other matters in relation to the administration of personal estate and the powers, rights, duties, and liabilities of the person, personal representative in respect of personal estate apply to land so far as they are applicable, as if the land were a chattel, real vesting in the personal representative, except that some or only one of several joint personal representatives shall not sell or transfer land without the approval of a judge or the court of Queen's Bench. Ooh, okay, so I'm just gonna go from the bottom up. The approval of a judge of the court of Queen's Bench, that's what we're all after right now. The Registrar General just got back to us and saying, hey, your, your paperwork is way too hot, it's, it's too much of a hot potato. I can't deal with this. You, are, you have attached such significant stuff to this security, I can't be liable for this. Again, the Registrar General, he has the capacity to kind of work in the background as kind of a, you know, someone who can uh, basically oversee or act like a judge, but they don't quite have the same powers of the judge. So this is saying, hey, when the transfer is about to happen, because it's dealing with land, there's personal representatives involved, only the judge has the power to effectually put all these things through for us that's going to put us in the position where we can finally be uh, in one that's going to enjoy the, the life estate that we're so desperately seeking right now. So again, all I'm really getting at here is the, the judge right there, it says it requires the approval of a judge. And again, as I just mentioned, the letters that we just got back from the Legis Registrar General are suggesting that exact same thing. But all we've done, we haven't wasted time. We've actually just shown the judge, hey, Your Honor, I've exhausted all my remedies at law and to no avail, which is why I'm now coming to you to settle this matter once and for all. Final settlement is what it's actually called. Okay, so let's deal with the order for execution of conveyance or transfer. So where 
Partition. Partition or sale is ordered. I love when you know the word. I need help with the word. The court may order the execution of a conveyance, transfer, or other document by all the proper parties thereto to give effect to the sale or partition of the land. Okay, so let me back this up for a second. What are we doing with this trust? Okay, we create this trust, and what does it do? It just sits there? Like, what? how does it become a utility? How do we actually funnel assets into it? How do we actually move property interests back and forth, all this stuff? Actually, what we're actually doing is we're setting up this trust for sale. It has a value attached to it. We're literally selling it or a portion thereof. Um, once it's sold, now the personal representatives, the trustees, the administrators, they can roll in, they can literally sell it and get a big chunk of funding for it. And now that's what they're gonna use to offset all the debts that you're gonna come and you're gonna throw at them. Say, hey, yep, I need the use of this car. I need the use of this boat. I need to rent a Bobcat for the weekend to do landscaping at my house, whatever. It doesn't matter. They have a fund sitting aside. And this is what the word disposition was when I was mentioning earlier. Capital dispositions on an express trust are this. Once you take that silver coin, you attach it to the security interest, attach that to the security certificate, that encompasses the trust. Now you actually just have to put it into the possession of another party. Boom, a trust has arisen in equity. Now they sell it. All that monetary gain now is applied to offset or set off all these costs and fees and, and monetary values that you're gonna be coming across for the rest of your life. So this is where all the money is actually coming from in the background. Now. Yeah, the consolidated revenue fund and the insurance funds are sitting over there and that's technically where all the funds are. So the sale is just a paper transaction moving ones and zeros around from this party to this party. That's all that's really happening. Okay, delivery of uncertificated security. There's that word again. Delivery of uncertificated security to a purchaser occurs when A, the issuer registers the purchaser as the registered owner on the original issue or the registration of transfer, or B, another person other than a securities intermediary either becomes the registered owner of the uncertificated security on behalf of the purchaser. Okay, so when we have a... Um, when we have a certificated security in registered form, okay, well, that's your birth certificate. That represents the security interest. That's the legal title. What is the uncertificated security? The uncertificated security is the equitable interest. There's no certificate for it, but it's there. So there is a property right. There is no title for it. So we'll call that uncertificated. That security is actually still floating around here. Nobody sees it, but it's actually there. Now, when we come and we put this thing into the possession of another person, other than the securities intermediary, that person, call it the successor in interest, they become the registered owner. That's what we're doing. We've led a life where we volunteered to be the registered owner of someone's name that didn't belong to us. That's why we are stuck with all this taxation, sickness, death, liability. Uh, you know, no man can profit from his own wrongdoing. Oopsie dupes. So once a new registered owner is on the books, we're free. We're no longer liable. Why? Because we're not the registered owners no more. Somebody else is. Somebody else gets to eat the bill. Beautiful. We like eating bills. <laughs> <laughs> so rights of purchaser. So uh, except as otherwise provided in 
subsection two and three, a purchaser of a cert certificated or uncertificated security acquires all rights in the security that the transfer or had or had power to transfer. Okay, so what are all the powers and the rights and the duties and all that stuff? That's where our security agreement actually identifies what those rights are that the security intermediaries are holding for us. They're actually, imagine them holding a empty bucket. We come along and we add a whole bunch of stuff to this bucket that they're now actually in possession of. And what are they gonna do with it upon subrogation? They're literally taking that bucket full of goodies and they're now actually giving it to us. So we were the ones that actually filled the bucket, not them. They have no idea what you want. You might, again, I've said in other videos, you may wanna just go up into the hills and play with goats. Well, okay, I want to go up into the hills and play with goats. You put that in your bucket. That's it. That's all you get until you come up with something else. Well, maybe I want to put sheep in there too. Well, I might want to be interested in cattle and horses. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But your bucket will grow. But point is here that they don't actually stipulate what's in your bucket. We do, which is where dominion is. You, you like I was saying again, you could literally only put that in your bucket and that literally would cover everything. You'd be safe just establishing that. But I, you know, I like to go on and add a few more goodies and on top of Dominion. But again, we've discussed we've discussed that in other videos. But uh, yeah, eternal life—that's a beautiful one. Uh, Co-heirs in Christ, resurrection. I mean, there's there's all kinds of goodies in there. Okay, successor and interest. Uh, the uncertificated equals equitable. Yeah, it does. The uncertificated security interest is the equitable interest. It's hiding in the background, nobody knows about it. And until it's claimed or until it's identified or until it's expressed, it still remains hidden. Nobody actually even knows it's there. Okay, so part five, registration. If a certificated security in registered form is presented to an issuer with a request to register a transfer of the certificated security or an instruction is presented to an issuer with a request to register a transfer of an uncertificated security, the issuer may register the transfer as requested. Perfect. They can't register anything until you provide it. You got to get that thing endorsed. You got to get that assignment on there. You got to get that adverse claim on there. You got to get it into the possession of a judge or again, like we were doing earlier, the registrar general. Um, but now that's turning into just the judge. So once the issuer has been notified, hey, there is an effective assignment over here and that legal security interest, it's coming back to you, issuer. Now issue me something better because that certificate that we used to be in possession with, it's gone. So either they're gonna issue an entirely new certificate of indefeasible title, or they're gonna send you back something like a decree or an order that would literally take the place of that birth certificate. You can literally walk around with a court order or a decree and effectually do everything you ever want to do. How do we know this? Uh, one of our colleagues in the United States, his partner, actually got into chambers, actually got all this done. The judge signed his order. The judge actually told him before he came in to get that thing signed, bring several copies so that the judge can sign several originals because you're going to need one of these everywhere you go. That was the exact words from the judge. I'm not making that up. Okay. A, under the terms of the security, the proposed transferee is eligible to have the security registered in that person's name. Bingo. The, the successor in interest, otherwise disclosed as the Minister of Finance. 
his name is actually going to be the party that gets attached to that old birth certificate. It literally came from him in his office through vital statistics. We're literally just, as Frodo, we're just returning the ring to Mount Doom. <laughs> oh, B, the endorsement or instruction is made by the appropriate person or by an agent who has actual authority to act on behalf of the appropriate person. Yeah, the appropriate person is you. You were in possession of this whole thing your whole life. You're actually presumed to be the grantee already. So now come forward, perfect your interests, step up as the grantor settlor, send that thing packing, and now enjoy the results of being the beneficiary. It's it's actually a lot easier than we think. And I know, again, I keep, I've mentioned this before. I know my documents are like a little bit ridiculously technical and I'm working on that. We're actually still trying to fine tune and simplify all these things because all you got to do is prove that you're the appropriate person. All you got to do is prove that you had possession of this thing. All you got to do is prove that you actually put your signature on this thing. Once you do a few of these fundamental things, these processes, these concepts, that, uh, that certificate of security now goes to the appropriate party. You are the one that's capable of issuing instructions. They are genuine. They are authorized because it's you doing it. You're the one that was supposed to be doing it this whole time. And C, reasonable assurance is given that the endorsement or instruction is genuine and authorized. There you go. Perfect. Excellent. Darren? Liability of issuer. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Um, just back <laughs> to that just then we are just talking about. Um, I've, I've heard of a story that somebody's... Um, once they've perfected everything, they've gone to court on a hearing after, and then they will, by appearing, they will put in the position of trustee because they appeared, and then they got in a bit of trouble because of that. Yeah, I mean, unless the process is done like kind of lickety split, which is why, again, I'm suggesting that we try to do this ahead of time. Don't, don't try to do it that morning in court. That's the most dangerous spot for us to be doing this. Ideally, we want to, okay, because you're so you're showing up as the defendant there. So there's a whole mechanism at play where because we had an imperfect title, there's this whole tsunami of, a, of something called a record that we have to overcome. Now, the judge certainly is not going to want to deal with this stuff publicly. Why? Because he knows what you're going to do as soon as you go home. You're going to go on YouTube or you're going to call me or send us an email and this thing's going to explode. So they're still going to make it, excuse me, look like publicly we're still losing or you still showed up as the trustee. But you know what? Just because the body showed up, the body showing up used to cure any defects in the Crown's case. Well, here's another big defect for the Crown's case. The security interest has now been assigned to you. How are you going to get around that defect? You can't. But the judge is now in a hot position. He's not going to want to disclose any of this stuff publicly. And he's actually a little bit pissed off. He might be smiling and he might be kind of making jokes here and there. But you know what? At the end of the day, that was still what we call a surprise attack or a sneak attack. And we're, we're trying not to do that, except I do realize that, again, you know, uh, there's probably, you know, there could be a people on here that have court tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. So we are in a bit of a predicament, which is why we're, you know, we're trying to splash as much information out there uh, to, to get this stuff remedied and put us, put us in a position where we're actually providing the judge and the court uh, an opportunity to actually help us. They can't help us when we don't perfect anything. They can't help us when we show up as the debtor all the time. All we can ever expect is debt. Not, not good. Thanks, so man. that person showing up to court and still being regarded as the trustee. Yeah, that's kind of going on publicly. But again, once you uh, put your endorsement on that birth certificate, there's no freaking way you can ever be seen as being the trustee ever again. No, you fixed that. 
but like I'm mentioning, they're just not going to want to acknowledge that in public. <laughs> privately, oh yeah, privately, privately, you're good as gold, but just not publicly. Again, two worlds, two illusions. We just kind of kind of be a little bit mindful of you know where where we are. That, that's right. I guess we're going to be aware of that and yeah. not get caught up in the public side and be fearful yeah. of that and yeah. get caught and up in that. Position. And which is why they give us you know typically 30 days minimum to deal with any of this stuff privately before the court appearance date. And you know my brother, he talked extensively about settling with thine adversary quickly before he or lest he bring you before a magistrate ah okay well that's right out of scripture so there's some gold to that yeah. you know that little expression for sure uh, thanks mate. Cheers. okay Cheers. no problem Jay. um we have a question here from a private um viewer he had ordered 10 copies of his uh long-form birth certificate and he noticed that on each copy the number was different on the back is there a reason? Yeah, they're just going to be, they're produced in series, means this particular one is going to be good. This one's going to be good. They can't all share the same identifying numbers. No, they're actually, they're actually separate accountings. They're separate um, mechanisms for them to keep track of all this monetary and financial commercial system in the background. So every time they issue one of these things, that's your record putting out instruments saying, hey, I'm either going to assume a whole bunch of debt or I'm going to wind up perfecting a whole bunch of stuff. So you literally could um, take 10 of these things. Again, isn't it strange? Why would you ever want to order 10 of these things? I mean, I was always led to believe that you get one birth certificate and that's it. Why would you ever need 10? Well, let's pretend that what if you had to assign a certificated security to go get a vehicle? What if you needed one to go get a boat? I mean, at the end of the day, that's actually might how they actually wind up doing this. Consider a birth certificate to be something that you might use to go acquire use of larger property. Um, but to be honest with you, I'm thinking that we can still get this done with one. We actually don't need 10. Just assign that one properly, get it recorded at the personal property registry, get the output properly, run to a judge, show him what you did, get that court order from a judge, run back to land titles or the personal property security registry, now register that order, then, then go back to court the third time or second time now with proof. You got proof of a bill of lading being registered, all this fancy stuff is going on in the background. You've actually supplied and furnished the court with so much evidence that the judge actually has to now come to your aid and assistance. There's no way around it. Absolutely, they will. So would all 10 of those get endorsed then? You take all of those to the judge? Uh, yeah, you know what? You could. Um, it's not going to hurt you to do it. Uh, or you could just endorse one of them and in your affidavit suggest and certificate number this and this and this. And you could just literally list them all. So... So there and, you go. And can you please explain a certificated security in simple terms? A certificated security in simple terms. Okay, let's see. So we had um, a, somebody come in and it says it needs a security that is represented by a certificate. Bingo. I actually think I have, um, I might have actually had that definition a little bit farther down in our program here. Uh, no, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's, it's an interest in something that's evidenced by a certificate that is in our possession and we just don't know what to do with it. Well, and, until now. And that certificate can represent a whole bunch of stuff or it can, you know, it can literally represent nothing. It all depends on what you do with it, how you complete it, what you attach to it. So 
And so what is the actual request that we go in to see the judge? Uh, probably the simplest one is, Your Honor, I'd love to recover on a certificate of security as the plaintiff. Thank you. Here's my adverse claim. What do you think? Do you disclaim the trust? And what does endorse mean? Endorse means sign, uh, autograph, um, convey. It means I'm authorized. I'm signing this. I'm authorizing it to be put into the possession of another party for my benefit. Really, at the end of the at the end of the day, when I stop acting as settlor, I put that hat away, or I I put that capacity set it aside, and now I'm going to roll in as the beneficiary to enjoy all this stuff. And again, that's the beautiful part about what we're doing here. We're at we're playing this shell game where we're trying to figure out what all these titles do and where and when to use them and what they actually affect and the do's and don'ts. I mean, this is part and parcel to what Dean and I've been trying to tell the world for, you know, a better part of 20 years. But again, Dean was all about, uh, you know, grantor and beneficiary. Well, we missed the grantee part. We actually, that is a critical component. We had to prove to the court or the judge that, hey, I have absolute title or I have the both the legal and the equitable title. That's what grantee means. You have possession of both titles. That doesn't really do much other than say, hey, I have both. Okay, but now take one and get rid of it. As soon as you get rid of it, that's how the trust forms. So again, very critical part that Dean and I and you know all of our colleagues back in the day that we missed. And again, hats off and kudos to our friends in the States there who they know who they are. And they're the ones that really uh, led us to understand what the, what the grantee position was all about. Super important. Absolutely. Serena, thank you for reposting those questions. They absolutely got buried in the chat because there's lots of chitty chatters out there. So it's wonderful to see everyone piping in. But we have a question from Nathan. I understand the definition, um, but this won't help with the ignorance from the police officer. Yeah. Once the birth certificate is surrendered and until their system is updated, how do we identify? Yeah, I mean, the again, like I was just mentioning, they do actually kind of know. Um, I've actually on several occasions now. I mean, I just mentioned the one there um, a moment ago about me driving through that check stop, producing the birth certificate only. And again, I didn't put a silver coin attached to it. I didn't add valuable consideration. I didn't endorse it. I didn't express an adverse claim. I didn't grant power to the successor and in interest to deal with this thing properly. I didn't do any of that. And I still drove away through a check stop with just the birth certificate. So as long as you know how to verbiage or as long as you know how to address that officer and is if, if, if you happen to have that one piece of paper that output from personal property security registry um that single piece of paper is the game changer the officer cannot attach any liability to you now whatsoever and you actually don't even need the, the land titles output again as soon as you endorse that birth certificate properly that's all the officer needs to see at the worst case scenario, he's going to go back to his car. He's going to call it in. And then he's going to come back to you and he's going to say one more time, are you sure you don't have a driver's license? And your answer is, of course not. No, I will. I, I refuse. Or there's, there's uh, under no conditions will I bear nor possess a driver's license under those old terms and conditions. Now that my interest is perfected, I have my standing and I have my status and all that good stuff is floating around in the background. If the crown or, or if the motor vehicles people wish to issue me a new driver's license with all that awesome stuff attached to it, sure, that's okay. Because now I'm not actually, I'm not actually, I'm not actually operating as um, a graven image. No, because the status and the standing has actually switched in the background. And trust me, the officer is not gonna wanna mess with you because it's 14 years in prison for breach of trust. They're not gonna wanna mess around with that. I've already proved that in, uh, like three or four times over now. And as a matter of fact, we have another friend here who took the birth certificate, did exactly 
to it like we have been uh, promoting here on Facebook and all these divergence platforms and all of our other little outlets here. He went, he crossed the border to go into the United States. Border people, no problem with it. He came back, no COVID quarantine for him, no nothing. Um, he rolled into another situation where he got pulled over. He produced it like that. He got let go, no problem. He went to a rally or a, a protest in Toronto, I believe, where there was a police officer actually beaten up on a woman. He walked up to him. And although he didn't show the certificate to that officer, he just vocalized it. He just said, hey, I'm a protected purchaser. I'm an adverse claimant. I've done this, I've done this, and I've done this. And actually the, the police officer, he literally let this woman go and walked away. So there's, there's, there's all kinds of little um, stories and personal experiences rolling in almost every other day now of a little victory happening for us based on what we're just simply doing to this birth certificate. Incredible stuff. That, um, that question was more so to do with um, be between the time where you sit down with the judge and um, where you actually, or when it's put into the system, is this done immediately or does it take a period of five days or I'm not sure how their system works? Yeah, you know what I mean? For them to recognize it, it, this. Yeah, I mean, they will recognize it as soon as the birth certificate shows up with the writing on it and the silver coin, it's recognized. Just because you okay. haven't registered it yet doesn't mean it's not effectual. So the moment you do it, you're safe. Trust me on that yeah. one. Yeah, it, you're, you're safe. There is no there is no limbo time or there's no, will the officer recognize this? I mean, again, at the worst case scenario, the officer is going to look at this thing. He's going to go back to his car. He's going to call dispatch. And he's going to say, well, he didn't give me a driver's license, but he gave me this. What should I do? <laughs> and I know what the answer is. The answer is you're walking away or you're driving away. No problemo. But doesn't, doesn't the judge take that birth certificate with your consideration attached? Yeah, uh, most of the times they do. They have actually taken it. They have separated the coin. They've sent the coin back. Sometimes they keep the coin. We've actually seen both of these scenarios play out. So it's kind of a hit and miss. But again, we're not to be, we're, we're, we're actually not even concerned with what they're doing in the background. Point is, is that we've put that security yeah. interest into the possession of the secured party. And that's what lets you drive home yeah. without being arrested today. So yeah, the judge typically is going to act on this right away. Um, and, but again, a, a faster way to even do it is to, as soon as you endorse that thing, especially you are safe, you're, you're literally safe. Now it's just a matter of putting it into the hands of the, the appropriate party that should be dealing with this. And your honor, that's why I'm knocking on your door today to make sure I never get into a situation where an officer pulls me over. And maybe he does pretend to not know what this means. And maybe he pulls a gun on me and maybe he, he drags me out of the car and he tasers me to avoid any wrongdoing, Your Honor. And because this is an urgent matter, because this is an emergency, I require you to draft that order. Or sorry, I require you to sign the order that I've drafted is essentially yeah. how that works. So then, then you to take a copy and use that if you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, get rid of that yeah. original and, and keep a copy. Sure. That, that absolutely. Awesome. Yep. Thank you. Nathan. Thank you. Yep. You bet. Now, is there any issue with putting through a live life claim, becoming a postmaster general? So this is the Russell J. Gould mm -hmm. and running that method parallel in tandem with this method. Um, yeah. You know what? I guess. Okay. Let's pretend this. Once you've perfected your interests and you are on the same footing as Queen Elizabeth herself, are you a postmaster general? Yeah. You're a lot more than that. You're you literally have the wealth and power to start your own nation. That's why our trusts, that's why these funds in the background, that's why they're actually worth so much money. It's, it's, 
I could tell you some of these stories, well, what we've heard, what some of these judges have come back with establishing what the values of our states are. And you know what? I'm probably not even going to tell you because you're probably not going to believe me. But let's just say it's ridiculous. It's enough to start your own country, enough to start your own currency, and enough to have all of that stuff happen, just like all these other countries that we see out there right now today. You have the ability to do the exact same thing if you want to. So are you as powerful as a postmaster general? No, you're actually even more powerful than that. Um, do I do I agree with everything that Gould is doing? Um, I guess so. I mean, again, once you perfect your interest, again, I don't know if he's actually perfected his interest or not. If he hasn't perfected his interest and he's claiming to be a postmaster general and doing all this stuff, you know what? That might work out to be like a Winston Strout type scenario. I'm suggesting perfect that interest and then go be anything you want to be. No man can rebut your claim or get in your way. Um, we sent all our originals via the registered post to the court prior to the court date. And then do we carry the certificated copies to the court? Yeah, absolutely. That, that works. Um, I know if, as long as you're doing it ahead of time, um, but do it ahead of time and now bring your claim as the plaintiff. I didn't quite finish this just a moment ago when I was speaking about it. We're rolling it to public court with a certificate of security saying, hey, your honor, I'm not liable for this. Okay, well, that's all fine and dandy. But what the judges, what, what they really want us to be doing is bringing your own motion as plaintiff. Hey, your honor, I have priority. I have the right. I have the interest. The, uh, the defendant here, they have nothing. I have everything. They literally have nothing. Therefore, that at law case is just going to disappear because your, your counterclaim, your claim as the plaintiff crushes that entire common law claim brought by the prosecutor. Uh, for criminal court, do I serve the crown attorney, the birth certificate with the consideration? I would serve him a copy and I would send the original to a judge. Okay. Can you clarify what happens to property I own after I perfect my interests and what is a joint ownership? The perfected interests allow all your property that you're holding or using or living in. You actually take all those properties, you take all their little identifier numbers, almost literally every piece of property is going to have some kind of a number attached to it. And if it doesn't, you attach your own number to it. Briefly describe what that property is the best to your, your ability, attach your own number, and then you can go literally register that. And again, registering something makes it property of the government. So we actually have to be careful with how we're kind of wording that. But so um, all your property is gonna get rolled into your trust. Your securities account is gonna swallow all the debt that was attached to all those properties. The debt is now looked after. You don't have to worry about that stuff at all. You just get to drive the car. You get to fly the boat or, or whatever it is you wanna do. Um, that all is automatic. As soon as you add these properties to a financing statement. And again, the financing statement is part of the land titles process or part of the personal property security registry process. Now, again, we can literally after we get that single output suggesting, hey, um, hey, your honor, here's my financing statement. Here's my notice of interest and here's evidence of my security. The moment that we do that, land titles is gonna give you that piece of paper, that little piece of uh, output um, describing the new relationship. Once you have that description of a new relationship, you are essentially free. 
you're you're clear no one can bring a claim against you period for any purpose so I got to be careful with the way I phrase that because I that that's not a green light to go and rob banks and you know do heinous things. No, you'll you'll you would still be accountable if you did that. Why? Because you're actually in breach or you're actually not in keeping with the doctrines of equity and you could be held accountable for that stuff. But but no, it's joint ownership is where you got two owners. You got um, a husband and wife. You got a a, a business or a partnership uh, type scenario where. You have multiple owners and multiple owners or uh, joint ownership can be described in our paperwork the same way. All you got to do is identify the parties and their positions and what you want to do with those things. It's super simple. That's not, that's not complicated or technical or that cannot be addressed by the courts. No, no, no. The, the judges can, you're going to be shocked at what these judges sitting in chambers doing equity are actually capable of doing. It would actually blow your mind. You might remember the uh, the Panama scandal, the Panama paper scandal back several years ago, where you know all those offshore accounts were kind of subject to fraud or subject to, let's call it unscrupulous things. Um, the from what I understand, some private citizens or some private individuals had funding mixed into the Panama paper scandal, and apparently, from what I've been told the US military literally went down to Panama, they secured all of those funds through the Panama scandal and a judge actually executed through a warrant, the collateralization and the securitization of all those funds as in go get all those funds, bring them back. Because one or two private individuals stepped up and said, hey, uh, I have private stuff mingled in there and I need you to go privately do it, deal with it. So the military got sent down there to deal with this stuff. It wasn't in the public. There was no court order publicly. And it just kind of happened really quickly. And they recovered like 80 or 90% of the funds. So again, that was all done through a judge sitting in chambers, exercising chancery type doctrines at his disposal, his discretion. And that was one incredible example of how powerful these judges really are. Now we have a question coming in from Marina and we have, a, I'm going to bounce a couple questions off of yours, Marina. Um, people who are going through foreclosure or bankruptcy, yes. um, how does that affect when affect you in surrendering your birth certificate? Believe it or not, but we're deemed to be bankrupt the moment we don't perfect the interest in the certificates. We're, we're all bankrupt right now. We're literally all bankrupt. That's why we're deemed to be trustees. We get the shitty end of the stick. We didn't know how to become solvent. You become solvent when you perfect that interest and you get rid of it, you attach the valuable consideration, the adverse claim, all that process that we keep talking about, that instantly puts you into a position of solvency through subrogation. Okay, so now who's the insolvent party? Who's the bankrupt party? <laughs> the secured party, the minister of finance. Because you took your power and your equities back, they get to be the debtors. They get to be the bankrupt party. Why? Because you showed up with silver. They're only allowed to play with legal debt notes. So you trumped them in specie when you attach that consideration to the certificate. You instantly become no longer bankrupt. And if you're no longer bankrupt, debt can no longer be attached to you. Super incredible. Awesome stuff. Absolutely. In a security agreement, can one use the Bible only or do you have to use act codes? I would ask, okay, because we're deemed to be debtors, because we're deemed to be bankrupts, because we're deemed to be trustees, let's use their acts and statutes because that's the world that we're forced to be in. We're actually, because we're 
because we're public citizens at the moment, we're actually not even allowed to bring scripture into this. Scripture has no place when you're a debtor, when you're a sinner, when you're serving two masters, the, the uh, scriptures won't come to your aid. So I would leave those out for now, but use that, that single piece of legislation, get that thing perfected. And then once it's no longer in your possession, now you are entitled to use scripture, but not before. So you have a way of rattling these words off and very easily. We have some questions coming in as far as whether we're going to be creating a guide to teach people how to converse, speak, or perform in court. Yeah, that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, settle settle the, the conflict of interest. Your Honor, there's a confusion of titles. What are you talking about? Well, I've perfected an interest and I've delivered it to the secured party and I got proof of it, provable direct proof that I'm no longer in possession. That again, that's the fundamental game changer here. So when we are doing this as a, I don't want to call it a template, although it is a template, we're just trying to provide a mass kind of a, a, a format or a procedure where people can just plunk in their names and their information. And that's why we're super encouraging people to actually read this stuff. I mean, yeah, you can literally just watch all these videos and you have a pretty good grasp of what's going on, but you know, feel free to go and look at some of these uh, legislations that we've found and actually look at the equity that's hiding in these statutes and actually do a little bit of Googling and actually get a little bit of comprehension on what these things and these phrases and these titles and how this actually all moves around. Because again, we're doing this because we're trying to build an army of light workers to go forth and do incredible things. Now, if you have a dark heart or you don't have the inkling or the moral fiber to be doing all that, we're going to pass by you or you're not going to be interested in doing any of this stuff anyway. You're going to think it's completely garbage and you're going to think we're crazy. And you know what? Hey, that's fine with us. So it is. And so it is. And so it is. Um, how do you do this with parents that are born overseas? Um, okay, well, if they're born within the British Commonwealth, this absolutely flies. If they're born in a country that does not have the birth certificate program, I'm sure there's still a way to do that because we were granted dominion the moment we were born. And I think the last I heard, almost every country on the planet is moving to the birth certificate systems. I think China is one of the last ones. Um, maybe Iran and maybe Iraq, maybe some of those types of countries that still are, are maybe, maybe that's just because of um, uh, their religious practices or I, I actually don't quite have the answer as to why, but trust me, the International Monetary Fund and the bankers, they're trying to convert those countries all the time. Why? How come when the United States used to roll in and bomb a country, the first thing they would do was organize and set up a central bank to take over that country's banking system. That is the birth certificate going in. I can't say we've ever got this question. Can you claim for your dead parents? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That interest still exists. There is, I believe there is a statute of limitations on that one, though. It might be three, five or seven years or something in that neck of the woods. But let's say you're seven months and or seven years and six months into it. Could you still do it? Yeah. I think that the courts are still going to entertain that, but absolutely. Those interests are still laying there. They're still abandoned. You can claim your entire family. They're all, it's all abandoned. Uh, the system is waiting for uh, next of kin or a legal heir or an equitable heir to roll in and actually produce this claim and actually effectually make it actually happen. And the judges are here to actually put all that through. Okay, so I'm 60 messages behind in the chat. 
So I wanted to stop uh, this just for a second. I want to go back to what we were talking about just so we can kind of finish up here. Sure. Okay. So let's figure, let's have oh, yeah. done this yet. So the liability, liability of issuer. So if under subsection one, an issuer is under the duty to register a transfer of a security, the issuer is liable to a person presenting a certificated security or an instruction for registration or to that person's principal for any loss resulting from unreasonable delay in registration or the failure of refusal to register the transfer. So I was kind of pushing this where, hey, uh, we were putting them into the possession of the security. Uh, we were putting them in possession of the security interest. We're putting them into possession of all this stuff. I was trying to go and get that, that interest registered at personal property security registry or land titles. What this little chunk of legislation is saying is I don't have to be doing it like that. Once we put them into possession of that thing, we can literally instruct them to say, hey, trustee, you go do trustee stuff because my ass is going to be sitting in the sand for the next month. I got better stuff to do. You go register the transfer. You identify who the new registered owners are. And that's all going to be done through a judge. That's why I'm pushing us to get to a judge first. Once a judge authorizes this and once a judge approves all this, the trustees cannot say, ah, oh, no, your honor, I don't think so. <laughs> no, 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 no. Get the court to do the enforcing for us. We bring the substance, but the court actually is the one that drops the hammer for us. So we can literally just do this and walk away. Okay, so now we're going into section three. So this is, I was kind of taking questions in between there so that we could kind of uh, make sure we didn't lose you and we could talk, talk about the same subject here. So section three is in respect to subrogation, exoneration, and it's important to note that in all suits concerning real estate, which is vested in trustees by device, device. Yeah. and such trustees are competent to sell and give just charges for the proceeds of the sale, and for the rents and profits of the estate, such trustees shall represent the persons beneficially interested in the estate or the proceeds or the rents and profits in the same manner and to the same extent as the executors or administrators in suits concerning personal estate rep represent the persons beneficially interested in such personal estate. I know, that was a mouthful. So, wow. <laughs> so, okay, what that's saying is, so sentence number one here, although they're talking about real estate, let's just kind of look past that for a second because the rest of this statement is bang on for what we're doing. Real estate, yeah, it's land, right? Or it's dirt or it's houses. Well, real land, real estate is still land. It's gonna actually be the exact same process that we're pursuing here. So, okay, so what's a devise? A devise is a security agreement, a devise is a trust expression, a devise is you coming forward and saying, hey, your honor, appoint new trustees because I'm sick of being the trustee. I'm done with that shit. I don't want to do that anymore. It's terrible. That is a devise. That's you coming forward and expressing terms and conditions. It could also kind of be a mortgage, could also kind of be a lease. There's a kind of a few subcategories that kind of encompass what a devise is. Okay, so now, such trustees are competent to sell, like I was mentioning earlier, you just gave them a trust. They're going to now sell that thing or a portion thereof. Again, if your trust is worth a bazillion dollars, you may not need to sell all bazillion dollars worth. Maybe if you're that one that wants to go up into the hills and play with the goats, maybe you only need to sell, oh, maybe $565,000 worth of your estate. And maybe you don't even need the rest of it. Point is, the trustees are competent to sell that property, that interest, that trust, 
and, and give or provide discharges for the proceeds. That word discharges is super important. Okay, so what's the opposite of a discharge? Well, that's a charge. We've been charged to be the trustees, the debtors, that liable party. That charge now gets discharged. Ah, and now a new charge appears. Well, what does that look like? Well, I'm now charging the secured party with what? Uh, an injunction, uh, accounting, specific performance. So there's three doozies. That would literally effectually do everything we needed to do in terms of the administrators or the trustees managing our estates or our life estates or our trusts and actually setting off all these debts, all these mortgages, all these car loans, all the student loans, all these debts that we're drowning in literally get set off or extinguished. Now, they will represent the beneficiaries. They will go to court for us. And I've seen this in the legislation, perhaps in our next um, Zoomer meeting here, we'll go over the exact role of the attorney general and how it relates to the administration of, a, of estates or trusts for charitable purposes. Once these estates or trusts are established, these administrators, they're, they're just, they're like vultures in the background waiting to jump on these things as soon as we bring it forward in the appropriate manner and in the appropriate format that they can actually work with it and deal with it for our benefit. So this, this whole system, it actually starts to work as one team. And I, I like to call us one big team. Well, believe it or not, that actually includes the trustees. That actually includes the administrators, the executors, the personal representatives, and all these people in the background working on all this stuff for our behalf. And we are getting quite a few questions around how do we protect our children? Um, do the parents do this? Do they fill out that paperwork? Are they putting the adverse claim on the front, the back? We yeah. have a couple of questions around that. Yeah. So mom and dad have a few options. When they fill out that, uh, when they when they provide the information that creates the physician's notice of life, uh, of birth, um, or the information that is given to the government that's going to create the birth certificate, you can literally start perfecting your interest right there. Now, again, like I was mentioning earlier, when you had a like an RN number or an RR number uh, suggesting that there's a registered mailing going on or an express post mailing. And you know what, there has been some discrepancy over which one should we be using. Uh, a lot of the legislation is, is, is actually um, reiterating the fact that we should be using registered mail. And for all intents and purposes, I, I still don't see a problem with doing it again, because once we effectually get subrogated, it doesn't really matter how it happened, but we get to now enjoy the creditor's position. And that is the beautiful spot we're all aspiring to be. So Mom and dad can perfect it right on that application. Mom and dad can perfect it right after the birth. Mom and dad can perfect it when the son or daughter is seven years old or three years old or 14 years old. Anytime after the fact that the birth event happened, mom and dad can come in and actually perfect that interest. And if mom and dad never do, you know, maybe now it's up to the child once the child is of the age of majority to watch a whole bunch of mine and Dean's videos and, you know, Mr. Jay Goulds and all these other you know, incredible contributors, and maybe child there who's now of the age of majority can figure this stuff out from their own, and they would go ahead and perfect their interests themselves, which is, again, something I'm actually incredibly uh, motivated to start teaching younger people, because, again, I, I don't want to be, I don't think it's reasonable for me to be putting uh, this type of technical, uh, crazy, in-depth paperwork in front of a 16 year old and, and you know expecting them to be able to digest this. I think that's a little bit ludicrous, but could I boil it down to one page and maybe simplify a bunch of these terms? Could that 16 year old now negotiate it? Could they maybe understand it at that point? Well, I'm gonna do my best and I'll let you know. 
and Darren and I actually talked about doing this for even younger children, actually doing like a children's book, you know, like about equity to help them young, learn this at a really young age, you yeah. know, to start planting those seeds and, and making it digestible for them so that they understand it. I mean, w once we had the funding, um, to actually promote this thing. I would love to turn this whole story into a video game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you win money and you add money to your pot. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I do. This is just a question I just really want you to address if you can. We have a gentleman who's up against his yes. um, mother being vaccinated in a nursing home and he is wanting our help. So okay. what would you suggest? Yeah, the injunction is primo. That's the one you want to be chasing. The judges will hear, they will provide you a, a review determination based on the evidence brought before the court or the judge instantly. Uh, it may take a couple of hours. You know, the clerk's going to look at it. Uh, they're going to issue process. If you do this right, they're going to put it before a judge in competent jurisdiction right now. Because why? The matter is urgent. It's an, it's an, the exigencies surrounding this particular circumstance are of an, of an emergency. So the judge will immediately hear your case if you bring it properly, if you can prove that you've got clean hands, if you can prove you've got a good understanding or a good comprehension of some equitable doctrine and doctrines in the jurisprudence and how the procedures work, this, that, and the other. I mean, you put this whole little package together and you can literally roll in, get that injunction to lie against the secured party or the crown for these reasons and on these grounds, which are irrefutable. No man, no corporation, no one can rebut your claim. You have priority. And that judge would literally grant that order or that injunction. And there's no way grandma or mom is going to get a vaccination. Impossible. Uh, and we'll, we'll help you with that. Uh, injunctions are pretty straightforward. Uh, they're one of the primary equitable reliefs that we pray for. Uh, we're talking about bills and equity, and we're talking about the procedures here that we're developing. Um, give me a little bit, and I will produce a little bit of um, uh, format or, or a, a document that would actually get that accomplished for you. It's not complicated. It's just a matter of, you know, stitching the right stuff together. And uh, yeah, just give me a little bit here. And uh, I'll put it on his to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's just kind of finish this up and, and then we can kind of take a blast of a whole bunch of questions here towards the end. So um, it is sufficient to bring before the court, the first person having a vested estate of it, of inheritance. Okay. That's what I was just talking about. When you show up with sufficient evidence to the court saying, Hey, I'm the first instance, I'm the original, I am the estate of inheritance. It was all meant for me, Your Honor. I'm the Sestake use, or I'm the Sestake trust. Your Honor, look at the evidence I brought before you. Now I need an immediate decision or an immediate order or a decree or all, any of that kind of stuff. And the judge will be more than happy to provide that for you. And again, we draft the orders, not the judges. Um, so part and parcel to how all this rolls out. Yeah, once we bring the sufficient evidence to the court, that vested interest, that vested estate, that's the game changer. That's what gets our status changed. That's what gets our, our standing addressed. That's what puts us into the book of life coming from the book of death. You know, it's a, it's a big one. Um, okay, another instance of equity's beneficial effects is the estate of the- Sestake use. I was, I was just talking about it. <laughs> I was going to cruise right over that one. The person for whom a trustee holds, which is also repugnant to the principles of a law. There you go. Again, these aren't my words. This is me pulling it right out of legislation. And this is, this is stating for the record, hey, the at-law system cannot see anything that we're trying to do. 
the Sestake use is not seen. They can't recognize the equitable doctrines and the equitable defenses and the remedies that we're seeking. The common law cannot provide it. So when we roll into common law, try to smash our equities into it, we're actually just kind of making a bit of a mess. We should be just standing back and saying, hey, Your Honor, I know you're not going to recognize any of my stuff, but here it is. And clerk, let me know when uh, this trial or this hearing is over so that I can motion for a de novo rehearing in equity because I'm just going to sit over here and just cross my arms and wait for you guys until you're done fighting over the legal titles. Okay, and last one. Ooh, sorry about that. After a set of statements is finished, which manifest an equity to plaintiff, it is advisable at the end of each of such sets to submit to the court as a statement that such an equity does exist and that the plaintiff is entitled to it and that he now claims such equity. That is right out of one of the, um, uh, the equity manuals that you know, I have at my disposal. Again, not my words. This is saying that every time you make a statement, Your Honor, uh, the plaintiff believes that such an equity does exist. Why? Because he just created it. And that the plaintiff is entitled to it. Why? Well, because he just claimed it. And that now he claims such an equity. Why? Because you want to claim it. So those one, two, three, you put those together, put that in your affidavit. I'm, I'm, I just threw this one little blurb in here because we should be using this a lot. It's hard for the court to actually presume that an equity exists if you don't express it. That's what I started tonight's episode with was, hey, the court's not going to do that. You got to bring that stuff. You got to show the court your evidence of a priority title or your priority interest or your priority and right. If you don't bring any of that stuff, you don't have it. It's literally that simple. Okay. So now you wanted me to put up these. Yeah. Um, I just threw, again, this is out of Gibson's book. Um, go to the second page which is actually number one. Okay, so here we go. Um, let's just roll right into, do you, do you want to take a few more questions or do you want to go do this? Uh, let's wrap this up and then we'll finish up okay. the questions. Um, okay, so suits for exoneration of sureties. Again, so we understand who the surety is, that's us. That was kind of part of the part and parcel as to what we volunteered to do here. So I'm just gonna blow through some of these sections. Um, I got a little bit of stuff highlighted here. Um, these pages will stay up. Uh, you guys can download these and take a look at these in greater detail. But there is so much information in these next three pages, these images that you guys are about to see. It's ridiculous. So entire good faith. Well, that's not even recognized in the outlaw system. So we're already talking about equity. Entire good faith is required between the debtor and creditor and sureties. Wait a minute. How is there three parties to this contract all of a sudden? I thought there was only a debtor and a creditor. Nope. The sureties involved too. That gives us the power to fix the problem. Big, big, big stuff that, you know, the public school system forgot to tell us about. Um, so if the, through the course of our silly mistake we made when we were 16 years old, if we finally get to a point where it proves injurious to me, Your Honor, for me to be the debtor, for me to be liable, for me to be assuming all this bad stuff, I wanna change that. If the arrangement might be injurious to him, we are allowed to come forward and actually express some terms and conditions that's going to change all that. Because again, we're not meant to suffer. We're only meant to suffer when we volunteer to suffer. As soon as we stop volunteering, oh, guess what? Milk and honey, rainbows and unicorns. So the system is still, again, I reiterate, the system's waiting for us to come forward with these particular proofs and evidence, bring it to a court of competent jurisdiction and a judge, and you guys will be shocked at how effective this stuff actually, actually plays out to be. So, so as to discharge the surety, how do we get out of our bind? 
for the creditor is under no obligation to press the principal for payment. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means when you roll up with a perfected interest and that silver coin and you put that into the possession of the secured party or the creditor, they are in a position now where they can say, hey, principal, we're going to now sue you for the debt. Who's the principal? I'll give you a hint. It's the crown. So, however, sureties are not obligated or sorry, are not obliged to wait for their principal, the crown, to bring suit. So even though we're suggesting, hey, I'm no longer surety for this debt, go sue that party. They're the ones that are going to pay it. That party actually has the option to say, no, we're not going to sue that party for that debt. And we can say, fine, you know what? If you're not going to sue that party for the debt, I'm going to be exonerated then because I'm no longer the principal debtor. I'm secondarily liable. That means the principal, the crown has to pay the debt first, which means the crown can never be seen as acting in dishonor Essentially, there go. They're going to make the payments. They're going to put all this through because that's how the system was supposed to operate properly in the first place. So the principal doesn't, they're not forced to bring suit against the principal. Sorry, the, the creditors are not obliged to wait for their principal to bring suit, but are entitled to come into a court of equity after a debt has become due and compel the debtor to exonerate them from their liability by paying the debt hello, I'm exonerated because I paid the debt for the principal debtor. Now the principal debtor owes me something. Why? Because that was their name. They should have been paying this whole time. But yet I'm the one that just paid the debt. I just took a silver coin and attached it to that certificate. I have parted with consideration. I paid somebody else's debt. Now you owe me something. I mean, that kind of just makes sense. It's, a, it's an incredibly powerful thing. Um, if, the surety, if a surety requests that the creditor to sue forthwith, stating that he will consider himself no longer bound as surety, if the creditor fails to do so, he will be discharged by the creditor's failure to sue. We win either way. Hey, sue that party, get, get your compensation, or don't sue the party and get your compensation. Either way, we win. It, it, it's beneficial for us. For us. Um, this is the exoneration part. This is kind of part and parcel to what the subrogation truly is. Um, so we're going to go on here. Uh, there's just a few more. The Again, still talking about exoneration. Uh, we're actually going to be pleading or we're actually going to be praying for relief. Or we're going to suggest that the defendant be enjoined from further prosecution of the said court suit or whatever it happens to be, or from attempting to collect on any said note in any other way as against the complainant and that the, that the hearing said injunction be made perpetual. Again, back to our friends here, comment about the injunction. Injunctions are super important. It's either gonna compel a party to not do something anymore because maybe of a threat or a, a, a possible wrongdoing or the injunction is gonna prevent somebody from doing something. So it's gonna push them to do something or not push them to do something. The injunction actually works both ways. It's gonna compel them to do or compel them not to do, depending on the situation. Beautiful stuff. Goes on. We're gonna get into subrogation now. Um, subrogation, like I was mentioning earlier, is the substitution of one person in the place of a creditor whose debt he has paid under compulsion, not being liable primarily, therefore, I wasn't primarily liable. 
I paid the debt. Now you owe me. What do you owe me? Well, how about we subrogate? How about because I paid your debt, I get to enjoy what you were doing before because I'm now at a, not a, not a loss, but kind of a loss. I've, I've suffered um, and you haven't because I've made a payment. You haven't. I paid your debts. Like it's almost like you made, you loaned them something and now they have to pay the loan back is essentially what's going on with the subrogation. Um, so whenever a surety or other person secondarily liable discharges a debt, he is entitled to the benefit of all the collaterals or liens, which the creditor held as security. Oh. Collaterals or liens hiding in a birth certificate that we express and we put and we stick back to the principal debtor who is now obligated to pay for all these debts. Awesome. In such cases, equity regards the payment by the surety or other person secondary liable as equivalent to a purchase of the creditor's rights, equities, and collaterals as against the debtor primarily liable. So that one silver coin, you literally purchased all your rights back. Not only did you purchase your rights back, you took all the shitty rights that we used to have and we actually gave those to the crown. So that's the subrogation. You took a whole bunch of stuff and we switched positions. Mm, so powerful. And again, this subrogation is not a remedy that, uh, that the common law or the public courts can hear. Nope, this is one of the equitable ones. So although you're gonna suggest this in the public at law court case, if you got one, the judge is still gonna be, well, there's no at law procedure that allows for such a thing. And you're like, yeah, I know. That's why we gotta move to the equity jurisdiction because I'm, I'm not primarily liable, your honor. Why? Because I'm not in possession of the security. They are. And that's why they have to grant you that rehearing. They will. Well, if you ask for it, if you don't ask for it, they're not going to grant it. So when a surety discharges the debt or obligation of his principal, he puts himself in an incredibly advantageous position to enjoy all the fruits and no longer have to endure the burdens or the hardships. Where a dev, or sorry, where a devisee, a devisee is just the guy who created that devise. Uh, again, that contract, that terms and conditions. Where a devisee, heir, or legatee satisfies a debt against the estate for which others are equally liable, he is bound to be subrogated. The judge has no choice. He has to do it. Why? Because of all these crazy proofs and evidences that you just brought before him. He can't ignore all this stuff. That's so unconscionable. Again, remember in that one little blurb there we were just looking at a moment ago, it says where good faith is required. Good faith, good conscience, good reason. These are attributes of an equitable jurisdiction, not a common law jurisdiction. As a matter of fact, there is no good faith, there is no good reason, and there is no good conscience at law. They do not exist. Remember how that, how that jurisdiction got started. It got started with fraud. If it got started with fraud, how is there good faith, good conscience, and good reason in there? Nope, does not exist. So we do not want to even be in these places fighting for our rights because we have none. Question. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just going to go up here because I had a couple. How does this property work? Pardon me? How does this process work? Oh, sorry. How does this process work when land and property is owned via a company or a trust with a corporate trustee, as opposed to being owned in the person's legal name? Yeah, the trust created by the settlor provides you direct control. 
they are now the administrators, the trustees, the executors, anything, like I was mentioning earlier, any corporation, any company, any boat, car, plane, helicopter, anything gets described or identified in that trust. And now everything is technically going to be paid for by the trust. The trust is the the entity or the vehicle or the utility that does all the running around in the commercial world in that legal system, managing and looking after everything. It's got a whole bunch of people involved. There's there's credits, there's there's funding, there's dispositions, there's there's so much stuff floating around in the background there that it enables any property that you bring into the trust to be protected, to be paid for, to be removed from public policy so that you're, call it safe. You're, you're no longer subject to prosecution. The trust might be subject to prosecution, but not you. You're literally arm's length from that trust. That's the whole concept of having a trust put in place. You're, not, you're no longer liable for anything. The trust is. So how, how are you stating though that it's their debt? It's their debt because we created a situation through wrongdoing and fraud. So a debt exists. And because we have the power to take that debt and assign it to a third party, that debt is now in their realm. That debt is their commercial system. That debt is actually attached to their own security, their own public name. That all happens part and parcel to us kind of stumbling and making a mistake. But at the end of the day, fast forward 30 or 50 years, our mistake back then actually winds up being a blessing from creator that we could just never have imagined up until very recently. Um, again, life-changing stuff. And I'm just, again, just to throw more props out to all you people that are uh, you know, endeavoring to pursue this stuff and you know, get all this stuff in your mind and in your heart because it is that significant. And we are here to shake this place up. Um, they'd like to know what book you're reading from. Uh, yeah, this one is Gibson Suits and Chancery. I believe it's from like 1906 or 1908. Um, show them this thing. Like this. Well, he's got like tags and yeah, like it's like look at this. Like yeah, there's it's all crazy. yeah, I got all kinds of. So there's there's three of these that make up this 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 one volume. Um, this one volume is special because it's not copyrighted, which means we can actually go in here and use uh, this entire section here or that entire section there. Whereas, oddly enough, all the versions or all the volumes of Gibson's book after this one were all copyrighted and we're actually not really supposed to use them. But, you know, here we are. So, and oddly enough, you know, people are saying to me, oh, there's no honor in the system. I get, and I'll just give another quick blurb on that. There's no honor. There's, it's all corrupt. It's all deceit. And we don't stand a chance. We might as well jump in front of a bus and end it right now. Well, you know what? somebody is still updating Gibson's books to this day. Who's doing that? Why would there be so much equity hiding in all the legislation? Why would a judge get up and pour Dean a glass of water? Why would, you know, there's all kinds of scenarios here that actually wind up playing out that are going to do nothing but support my claim that there is an incredible amount of honor, integrity, and, and dignity in that system. Again, 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 I'm sure I'm gonna get a bunch of you know responses on that saying, oh, I went to court and I got my ass kicked. And yeah, my answer is because you did it with imperfect titles in your pocket and you didn't do, do, do any of the process that we're trying to teach you. Trust me, Dean and I got our asses kicked a handful of times too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Now, if you are a director of a company or you own a company and you're foreclosing, or even if you're not foreclosing, would you still surrender that information on your birth certificate as well? Uh, if you're a director of a company, yeah, you know what, you can add that stuff to your security agreement where you're just going to identify the um, the corporation, what its duties are and what it's what it, what it does and all this little identifier numbers. And now you're just going to deem that corporation to be trust property or trust res, as in a resident of the trust. That's ultimately what's going on there. Um, if you're a director, you have the power to do that. Absolutely. It's just a matter of identifying it, getting it expressed, and then getting it brought before the uh, the paperwork process here. And the judge is going to look at that and he's going to either, he's going to help you with it or he'll just approve it the way it is. Or again, that, that utility, pretend it's just an empty bucket. We're here to throw as much stuff into that bucket as we can. Okay, so we're at the question and answer part of this now. So like, I'm just watching all the messages come in. So I'm gonna rattle off as many as I can to him. He's gonna keep them short and sweet so we can get through these as quickly as possible. Um, again, we usually only go for two hours, but we'll go as long as we can here and we'll blast away, okay? So from Laura, do we need to set up a trust account? You already have one. It's called your securities account. As soon as that certificate gets sent back to the secured party to, hey, credit my securities account, that account is already there. We abandoned it. And remember, that account had to exist before the security got popped out. This The certificate can't exist before the account. No. Where did all the numbers come from? Remember, those account numbers are just put down on a little piece of plastic, and then they mail that to you. The account existed first. Can I toss in my marriage certificate or do I have to put consideration or a silver coin on it? With your marriage certificate? No, you don't have to. I would just uh, attach that silver coin to the birth certificate. Why? Because the birth certificate name is on your marriage documents. And you, want, you guys want to hear a funny twist to a marriage situation? Pretend you used somebody else's name to go get married. Is that marriage actually bona fide? Is it even real? The answer is no. <laughs> no it's not no it's not um that was a contract whereby we are committing fraud we're wrongdoing and then we go and we attach our interests to our spouse's interests who's also wrongfully using a name that whole marriage believe it or not it's a wash it's a scam it's an illusion it's not what we thought it was clean up your interests, get all that shit perfected. Now roll in and do a private ceremony, kind of Braveheart style, and then get that document, that agreement, that contract signed by one, two, three, or 25 witnesses, whoever showed up to the ceremony. Now you can actually go and record that document, that marriage document at land titles, or sorry, the personal property uh, security registry. How do I know this? Dean got married, oh, I'd say eight or 10 months ago and him and his wife did it. And I saw the output coming back from the personal property registry. So is it possible? Oh, yes, it is. And again, they used their proper names. They did not use the all caps name. So I don't want to wreck your marriage, but your marriage is kind of already wrecked. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> now, if the judge knows this stuff, how come they're not doing it themselves? They're not allowed to. They are part of the Levitical priesthood now. They swore an oath. Once they swore an oath, they were given all the secrets. Once they're given all the secrets, it's kind of not right for them to take all the secrets that were just handed to them and then go and benefit from something that they actually chose not to actually want to be a part of. Here's the kicker, though. The Levites actually get a different type of inheritance. They get 10% of yours. 
And trust me, that's still a freaking big number. Again, I'm not going to disclose what the numbers are, but let's just pretend it is friggin' ridiculous to the point where you're not even going to believe me. Now, how do you know that the private and public have to be kept secret? Uh, secret or separate? Separate. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, they're, they're, it's literally, it's just, it's two states of being. You have a public interest that's controlled by Caesar, the Roman Empire from back in the day. We all volunteer to serve that world in, in a military type jurisdiction. That's one realm. That's one jurisdiction. That's one world. The private one is going to be very similar, but yet not at all. <laughs> it looks similar to the public system, but it's completely freaking different in the background. On the surface, it all looks very similar. But do a little bit of digging. Scripture is what laid this all out. When we chose to serve two masters, there has to be two systems. <laughs> right? That's in, that's in Scripture. That's Scripture 101. Don't be lukewarm, be hot or cold. Hot or cold, two systems. When you're right in the middle there, when you're transitioning, just remember, and I know this is the tough part. This is where we're all at right now. We're leaving one realm for another. And in that transition, it's a bit of a bumpy ride. Yeah, I know Dean and I know that firsthand. And as many of you do, how just how bumpy that can be. But equity is the vigilant, not those who slumber on their rights, which is trying to tell you, hey, don't give up. Don't just, don't just throw this shit in the garbage and say this stuff doesn't work. No, it does work. Again, Jody would not have gotten that output from the personal property security registry just about a month ago if this stuff didn't work. Our friend wouldn't have taken that particular document and gone and done two or three or four different incredible things in the course of 10 days. That was the individual that, you know, went into the United States without the passport, came back, no COVID restrictions, stopped the fight at the protest of that guy. So we are seeing all kinds of evidences and experiences that are absolutely supporting everything that we're doing. And, you know, uh, I, I realize I actually hope that the, that this, uh, the lawyer gentleman, the, uh, the attorney uh, that I'm hoping is present tonight, I would love to get some feedback from him because at some point I'm going to get bored with the way I'm doing it and I'm going to go chase that stuff anyway. So again, if you're listening, my, my friend here, I would love to uh, touch base with you and uh, see what that can ultimately turn into. He's a no-show, I'm sorry to say. Oh, is he? Oh, okay. His loss. <laughs> Send him the recording. <laughs> um, so once you become a private citizen, do we then have the ability to go and arrest politicians? <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Private prosecution. So we have public prosecution. Go check out your um, your area. Uh, just start typing in for your area. Um, private prosecution. That means that a man or woman with standing and status can absolutely go and under the doctrines of equity, go and arrest politicians. The big part of the problem here is that most of the private citizens are also, a lot of them are politicians. So going arresting these guys for doing stuff publicly, that gets to be a little bit sticky, but are we going to actually try to go and do that? Oh, absolutely we are. I mean, the fact that they are consuming our offspring is a little bit concerning to me. And I really don't think creator wants that to be happening. Bale might like it. Uh, Malak might like it. Um, but we're here to do the righteous work and I'm going to do everything I can to make things just like that actually happen. 
And I will, I probably won't disclose it until we start it because I don't wanna let the cat out of the bag. But yeah, that would be something that we would definitely want to maybe discuss on a future advanced equity program, episode 13 or something. Absolutely, clean up. Um, <laughs> how does a judge give approval? Does he sign something? Oh yeah, it's called a fiat or his endorsement. He's gonna take the order that we provide or we put before him, he's gonna look at it and he's gonna say, what is it that you want? What is the, What are your prayers for relief? How do you expect the court to come to your aid and assistance? The order or the decree is actually gonna outline all that. And he, if it meets the, his requirements, which are actually pretty uh, straightforward, it's not rocket science, it's, uh, I've done several of them. I know I haven't posted any here yet, but it's, it's coming, I will do it. Um, we put our order before the court and the judge, and if it's in keeping with the doctrines of equity, he absolutely stamps it, signs it. Now we take that, now we run back to land titles or the personal property security registry, and now we actually go register that court order that locks down the court order. It's no longer floating around in my back pocket or in my file cabinet. What good is it in my file cabinet? Yeah, not much. So we actually have to continue the process, file this thing at the personal property registry, then take that output, now go back to the judge and say, look, okay, I went and I, I actually filed it. But here's the cool thing. I'm actually going to suggest that once we perfect our interests and we do all this awesome stuff, we can just tell the trustees, hey, you go file that order because I got margaritas to deal with. Oh, I like the sounds of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a group of people in Australia. There's a bunch of them that are coming together and wanting to perfect their interests. They want to know, should we set up a time for this with the judge? Um, should we, how do we, how do we all come together to be able to do this at once? Yeah, there's, okay, so there's another maxim called equity will take jurisdiction to avoid a multiplicity of suits. What this means is if 10 of you come to the court with the exact same claim, the only difference is your birth certificate registration numbers and the names, the dates, and that's about it. Everything else is exactly the same. The judge is literally going to say, okay, bring it all in. I'm going to deal with that all at once. So the ability for us to roll in in a group type environment is, if, I know it feels way safer, especially to newcomers here who, who have not been doing this for 20 years. Trust me, I could walk in front of a judge right now and wham, bam, thank you, sir. But you may not be able to, or you may not have the confidence to do that. So I'm gonna suggest, this is what Jody was mentioning when we were trying to develop our groups and have specific team leaders within those groups. So we're literally gonna clone me or take, you know, we're gonna stick a USB stick in my ear and then we're gonna download it into one of our team leaders and the team leaders for your area would be more than happy to go to court with you and your group to a judge who's gonna to wanna to deal with all this all at once. Beautiful stuff. Okay, let's take a hand here. Uh, Mariana, I'm going to unmute you here. If you would like to ask your question, please. I think you answered. It was, um, it was a, a, being a director of a private company, so they're doing a foreclosure without a court order or a, a, or a warrant of possession. And to be able to do the perfected securities and to include, but I think you've said that you you just merge them together in yes. the injunction. Yes. And and here's the here's the neat part, Mariana. Um, once you declare your birth certificate to be a deed absolute declared to be a mortgage in equity, that puts the secured party in the hot seat. And now you're literally going to roll in and you're going to foreclose on your own mortgage. That's phase two. 
That's coming up probably by the end of this week, we're gonna start introducing that, the mortgage stuff into the divergence platform. Uh, now that we're kind of caught up with phase one, I think we've got most of the documents up now, or if not for British Columbia anyway, uh, I'll have that done in the next day or two or so. And then we will go immediately to phase two while we backtrack and provide the phase one for other provinces, states, territories. So we're kind of just, we're kind of jumps, we're kind of like seesawing back and forth as this thing all builds and rises all together. But yeah, once you take your situation, your birth certificate, once you declare that thing to be a mortgage and equity, that literally puts the secured party in stop position. They can't do anything to you anymore. And now they're actually at your mercy and you're gonna attach an incredible dollar of value to your certificate. And then you're gonna foreclose on that. And the judges are rubbing their hands together because they want their 10%. Okay, okay beautiful. Because I've been working, uh, I've got in touch with uh, James, so we're sort of perfecting it. So I'm just about to send it to the courts. Oh, perfect. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, Thank you, James. Yeah, He's one right of our on. team leads in Australia. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so what? I, this is a person who has posted this question probably five times, so I appreciate uh, determination. Okay. So <laughs> what if we already used on-served documents to agents stating that we are the beneficiary and principal? Documents such as affidavits and conditional acceptance, can we still present it to the court? Because on the documents that we have now, the perfected ones for the birth certificate to the court, we act as settlers. Yeah, absolutely. A supplemental affidavit. That's going to suggest, hey, this document or this instrument is to take priority. All other instruments in the past are now deemed to be null and void. So you could literally just piggyback something you've got started, tweak the mistakes, get this thing perfected, get it cleaned up, modify it, let it evolve, and now bring that before the judge or the court. Absolutely, we're allowed to do that, to add an amend, to correct a mistake. Um, Your Honor, I need leave of court to make some changes to my claim. Motion granted. When do you need to be back? Uh, give me three days. Okay, done. That's literally what's going to happen. Um, we do have some some people that are actually have court cases next week. If they're wondering if they should just call in sick to buy themselves some more time. No, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, again, um, if if the uh, territory or province or the state that you're in um, has you know some of these uh, reference manuals, like I'm talking about, like the Securities Transfer Act, the Trustee Act, the Conveyancing Act, the the Real Property Act. Um, there's, you only need one chunk of legislation to effectively assign that interest in that birth certificate to the new secured party. As soon as you do that, game over. Um, go back into the website there and see if, if you can find the, uh, the blurb on the birth certificate. If for whatever reason you can't find it, just contact us again and we'll, we'll post it again. But it is, it is in there. Um, once you bring that certificate to the court, you place the court in custody of that person. Once that person is in custody, the man or woman could never be arrested for a charge ever again. So the critical component here is getting that certificate, getting that thing lodged or having it drop into the possession of the judge. Once that happens, your life just changed. So do it as soon as you can. Again, if you need a little bit of help or assistance, you know, if there's no team leaders in your area, you know, just contact us and we'll help fill in the blanks for you. Um, and then we'll help you with the conveyance or the mailing of it to the judge 
Uh, again, I do realize that there are some, you know, there's still newcomers in here. And although this course or this episode was for, I like call it the advanced kind of class, I did also post on uh, on the platforms out there, hey, if I was a newbie and I was desperate for knowledge, would I also have joined this chat tonight? And my answer would have been yes. So there's no, I, we're never going to say, hey, no, you can't come be a part of this just because you're starting out or you don't have the wisdom. You know what? Uh, again, we've had loved ones on here. Um, Krista, for example, she took just the information I posted on Facebook and within about, about a week, she transferred all the Manitoba or British Columbia legislation. She transferred it all to Ontario. She perfected it all by herself without even actually asking me any advice. She just kind of contacted me there the one day and said, hey, Darren, look at what I've done. What do you think? And I was like, oh my God. So it is possible, we can do it. And keep in mind, that was the most technical, hardcore version that I could come up with. It's only gonna get easier and simplified and more, um, you know, we can swallow it. Every week we'll actually be, I don't wanna say dumbing it down, but we'll actually be, you know, presenting it in a manner that more and more and more people will actually be able to get their heads wrapped around it. Um, we have a question coming in about somebody questioning how someone can have the authority over someone else's property. Well, when you're a public citizen and you have no property rights, the best you could literally be doing is renting. You don't own your house. The crown owns your house. It's all, go check your mortgage. That mortgage is in the all caps name, right? Is that your name? Nope. So who actually owns your house? The crown, not you, but they tricked you into paying for it. And you're like, oh, that's a shitty deal. I never get to own my house, but I have to pay for it. You know what, your honor? I don't like this. This, this stinks. I'm going to declare this house mortgage also to be a deed absolute declared mortgage in equity. And you know what, your honor, I'm going to foreclose on that interest. And you know what? I want that note sequestered. I want all the monies, rents, profits, interests, proceeds, accruals attached to that mortgage. That's all for me now. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we will help you draft all that again. That's the mortgage documents coming down the pipe this week. Uh, I know I've been getting a lot of requests for the mortgages, the, the phase two, the mortgage, the caveat and the declaration all kind of combined to create phase two. So it's coming. Give me a couple more days. Give me a few more days here. And uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to rock and roll. Okay. So we'll take a couple more hands and then we'll call it an evening here. So um, let's go with Annette. Annette? Annette? Did I say it right? Annette. Annette. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Two very simple questions. First one, um, we are, we are we're thinking of hiring um a legal translator, a professional to translate the documents from English to Hebrew. Yep. And from what there is in Google Docs, the documents are like uh, pictures and they're kind of small. Is there a way to get the documents larger and uh, more uh, readable um, to give to the translator or Word or something? Sure. Yeah, we can we can work on that or get one of the team leaders to help you or get uh someone that's a little bit more tech savvy than myself doing that. But yeah, that's absolutely possible. And yeah, no problem. Uh, we can, we can help you with that one. Uh, okay. And the second one, I know it sounds like a simple, a simple question, but because you have to, the, the documents have to look perfect and everything. If your birth certificate is in a full size A4 page, how would you do the, the birth certificate with all the writing and everything? If it's already, yeah. Is the back of that page full of information or well, or is the back open? One of our birth certificate has both sides of the page and mine is one side. Okay. If you had the back side, go ahead and write it on the back side or write it on a whole fresh piece of paper and literally just paper clip the birth certificate to your expression. 
just paper clip it. That's all it needs to be. Okay. Okay. Yep. Great. Yep. So about the documents, where should I write you about that? Uh... Um, just kind of maybe shoot us a message on the divergence platform. Um, okay. My attention or Jody's or Kim's or Matt's just so that, you know, we know it's you and that, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll put, uh, we'll get all the, uh, yeah, send me a message and uh, sure. I'll yeah, make sure. Yeah, yeah we'll put the, we'll, we'll put so the team much. on it for you. Yeah, no problem. You bet. Thank you. And Serena, absolutely. We would love <laughs> to take your question. Thank you for helping tonight. We really appreciate it. Oh, we can't hear you. Hold on. I was just going to say it was really, really overwhelming. There were so many questions. So I'm going to have a chat with you later to work out a system that will work better because I was posting in the SMS and then I thought maybe they're not going through. So I was copying yeah. and then posting them here. Yeah. No, but we'll get there. Absolutely. We'll get there. Thank you. I actually um, was going to get, um, it looks like you might have just been answered for Almog because he's, he's harassed me 20 times already with his questions. <laughs> But I think he just said it's been done, so um, so that's okay. Um, I'm just having a look to see if there were so many. I don't even know which ones got mess, missed, but um, we tried to answer a few of them. Um, did you get Anthony's question? Once I become a protected purchaser, how can I use this to aid me in my business? For example, to require funding to be protected from harmful actions from regulators such as Health Canada Customs Border Control CRA. Yeah, sure. Okay, so yeah. Thank you, Serena. The quick, the quick answer there is once you have the protected purchaser nailed down, the next step is becoming the security entitlement holder. And that happens when the protected purchaser's information or the security certificate itself, once it's in the possession of the other party, they now enter that information into a new book held at the Personal Property Registry Act or the Personal Property Registry or land titles. That new book is actually not the debtor book. It's kind of, uh, let's just pretend that it's the book of life. Once you're yeah. in the book of life and once you're deemed to be the security entitlement holder, you're gonna have some output and that system is gonna start changing in the background for you. Now it's not gonna be very hard for you to now say, uh, excuse me, not only am I a protected purchaser, but I'm also the security entitlement holder. And due to this information right here, uh, you have to do what I say, because I have priority. You have priority over every public citizen in the world and over every corporation in the world. Hence the word priority. I'm exercising my dominion and whatever I say goes. It's a very powerful thing. It's not meant to be in the hands of assholes. And the only, pro the only time it doesn't work is when you <laughs> run into another protected purchaser or a security entitlement holder. No, 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 no. I showed up here. I was going to build a school here first. Oh, sorry. Okay, I'll move. I'll build my school over there. Ah, no harm, no foul. Thank you. That's it. All the public citizens in the world, they actually don't even have a voice, believe it or not. And he, he just wanted to ask as well, too, am I able to do the perfecting interest process for my wife and manage the entire process for her? The reason being is Anthony has all day to get all this stuff and put together, and then he helps us with it as well. Okay. So I want to make sure the question gets answered. <laughs> sure, Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, um, the, the wife's position there... Um, I definitely recommend husband and wife combinations doing this. And again, the judge is going to want to see us dealing with as much stuff all at once as we can. So husband, wife, children, uh, brothers, uncles, sisters, bring the whole freaking family in. Actually, if you can, 
uh, or you know, whatever your relationship is there with the family, um, bring them all in at once. Do do a group type uh, setting. And again, this is where I was alluding to earlier about. I know there's a sense of fear still because we were programmed. You know, we we we've lived an entire life to fear police, fear the courts, fear all that stuff. But you know what? That's when we were the defendant. That's when we had no power. When we show up as the plaintiff with perfected interests and security certificates and all this crazy stuff we're doing. Do not ever, ever feel afraid. As a matter of fact, they're actually afraid of you. But they're never going to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to answer a question here. Frank, he emailed me. He has a court in less than 24 hours. Okay. His prosecutor is asking him for his plea. Should he tell her abatement plea? Absolutely. Take that plea and abatement and get that thing signed and send that to her as soon as possible. And also demand confirmation back that she got it. Okay, I just typed that too, excellent. <laughs> um, okay, Scott, we'll take uh, just one question, please, because I want to just kind of get through everybody that has their hands up, okay? Hi, how are you going? Hey. Um, about, about approximately six years ago, um, I joined up to Salvation Army Employment and they requested my birth certificate from me. Um, with the excuse for purposes for my employment. Um, and they never gave it back to me. And oh, really? I, yeah, they kept it. And to my knowledge, what I found out now is that they've actually traded that on the stock market. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how do I put forward my claim yeah, if I haven't got a birth certificate? Yeah, I'll, I'll help you with all that. <clears throat> Excuse me, this is where it's simple as this. I because accept, technically, it's in the interest of someone else now. Yeah. And now you're in a position, if they're actually admitting to flipping that thing and monetizing it, you roll in as grantee, you perfect your interest, you come as grantor set lower to move the interest to the appropriate party. And that opens the door for you to enjoy all the rents, profits, proceeds, accruals, and interests as the beneficiary. And they can't deny it. They're not going to be able to wiggle out of it. Not a chance. And again, Put that before a judge. Let's get a judge's approval on this transaction. I don't want to just do it between us, you know, because they're still looking at us as, uh, but once a judge's endorsement and approval is on that court order, the Red Cross is going to have to run for the hills. So that's well, a very um, interesting, that's a very well, interesting they, story. They, they haven't, they haven't, um, they haven't basically admitted to me they're doing it, but I have a way of finding information. Sure. And, um, yeah. yeah, every time I've made contact with them, right, I don't get return phone calls because uh, I told them straight up when I rang the first time, I said, right, yeah. um, I rang the head office here in Perth. I said, um, yeah, about six years ago, I joined up to um, Salvation Army Employment. Yep. They requested my birth certificate for employment purposes and then we gave it back. I went back the next day. I asked them again. I went back the next week. I asked them again. They reckon they go back to me, but I know they didn't give it back to me because I would have had it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah. so then, then okay, I so started going. Yeah. Sorry. This is yeah, and again, this is where uh, a motion before a judge in a competent jurisdiction for recovery on a security certificate. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy. Once you put this information and the evidence is in front of a judge, he's going to appoint a master, and the master is actually going to go and sequester that birth certificate and the monetizing of it. So. What does this look like? This is what the accounting actually is doing. So they're going to go out. They're going to, through a motion of discovery, that master is going to go track down that birth certificate for you and come up with the accounting and then provide it to the judge so that the judge can tell you 
Yeah, that's um those motion discoveries. That's what you um yeah fall on a hate, don't you? It's release truth and stuff. Yep. There you go. That's that's essentially the process that we would attack or or use to push this through. And again, uh yeah, just forward the information and uh I you know although I got lots of stuff on my plate, I'm still able to move forward and because we're having you know more incredible people coming like serena here and others that are just helping to alleviate some of my burden um the more help i have then the more i can do so it's again it's i have no problem with you just shooting us the information on the on the divergence platform there and uh we'll make it so that everybody else can see it especially within your group um and because that's very beneficial for everybody all these little learning curves and these little learning experiences that's where the one big team comes into play and I will be a proponent of that till the day I'm not breathing. Okay, and just one, one more thing now. I do one have more, daughter, Scott, that's it, okay? <laughs> yeah, I do have my daughter's birth certificate and I was in this children's court um, a few weeks ago. I entered a plea of abatement um, and basically the magistrates tried to treat you heaps of times, but I, I didn't fall for it. I ended up having to run from the room. But then I've got the um, president of the court saying that I'm not allowed to walk into the court, I'm not allowed to um, converse yeah. with the yeah. um, staff at reception and all that. I'm allowed to come into the courtrooms, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not allowed to do anything with reception. It's just like, well, hold on, how, how can I do my filings now? Yeah, you once you once you provide a plea of abatement. So that, how do I get around that? Yeah, once you provide that plea of abatement, you just destroyed the entire common law at law system. So for us to want to go back to something we just destroyed, they're like, no, you just destroyed it. You can't go back. So now what are your options? Well, your options are to bring your equitable claim, your your, your prayers for relief. You're going to bring that to the judge in chambers, private chambers. You're not going to show up in the public court systems no more. You're actually- well, that's, not that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. what I asked for. Her. And um, yeah. Yeah, she just basically done everything she could just to um, push yeah. it under the carpet. Yep. And basically, I only found out about the court hearing because so I actually rang up and oh. made an inquiry about something else. And they said, oh, we've got a court hearing tomorrow. So, oh, that's nice. Sure. And the police didn't actually issue me a summons. Okay. And I said to her, I said, I think I can explain that, Your Honour. And she goes, why is that? And I said, well, a summons is um, to summon the dead, Your Honour. And as, you, as you're quite aware, I'm standing in front of you as a living, breathing man. And I said, yep. so I'm obviously I'm not dead. Yeah. And anyway, the cop has come to my house um, two days ago to try to issue to him. Well, I didn't open the door, but um, I rang him up and I said to him, I said, listen, you know, I need to plead with Bateman in the court. Yep. And um, I explained to the cop what it was about. Yep. And well, they haven't been back again since. But yep. I think they're going to try to get me to commit sin by taking taking that summons or trying to force me to take that summons to court yeah yeah again they're just want yeah they're wanting to yeah they're, they're testing you they're just trying to see if you know what the plea of abatement actually does because when you enter a plea in abatement and then we keep answering and we keep responding to their stuff or we keep trying to go back to that public court that's literally telling the judge that we actually don't know what that plea in abatement really does so this is where again i'll help you develop your claim as the plaintiff uh it'll be super short super sweet all doctrines of equity um, sitting in chambers, completely different world. And that's where all of our remedy lies. Again, there is no remedy on the public side, zero. So right. um, after abatement, is it is it a process generally considered or is it matter generally considered or is it premises generally considered? What yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Plain abatement to the process generally considered. That covers everything at law, literally everything. Okay, perfect. Oh, Thanks, okay. Scott. That's wonderful. Appreciate all your questions. Um, okay, we have AIA. AIA. I'm going to ask you to unmute here. 
and um, you've been putting up some great content on our chat. So I would welcome a question from you. Hi, uh, my question's really simple. Uh, Darren's probably familiar with Christian Walters. I spent most of 2020 studying his stuff deeply and doing some of the reading. Yep. And I know you're in Canada and most of the other former crown colonies. Chantry is more explicitly available, whereas in the States, there's only a couple states where it's explicitly available. Okay. And your process makes sense. I just don't know if anybody in the States has had success implementing it. And that's what I was just curious about. So it's really a yes or no question. Okay, I'll tell you what. Um, what state are you in? Well, right now I'm in Georgia. I spent most of my life in California, which I'll probably be moving back to soon. And I was recently in Maryland. <laughs> okay. So if you were to tell me which state would you per probably pursue this in? Because all I'm getting at is, do I got to go start researching Georgia, California, or Maryland? Just tell me where you're going to be or where you plan for this to happen. Okay. Well, I wasn't even trying to put work on you, but I would say California. Okay. I mean, my life changed because I have an elder mother who's sick and we're trying to move her back to California. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no problem. I will uh, start taking a poke at California legislation. And again, the perfecting process is done in the United States through the Uniform Commercial Code. That's the most prolific way to perfect our interests. I have looked at the UCC, I wouldn't say in depth, but I've taken some quick looks at it. And that whole, that whole thing is incredible when it's utilized properly. So once you use the UCC to perfect your stuff, you can roll into any court in the United States and they will absolutely bow down to your priority claim. And I will help you develop all that, no problem. Wow, yep. awesome. Yeah, and as, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the gentleman that I keep referring to, uh, who's in the States, who I'm not really at liberty to discuss his name, he also studied with Christian for a long time. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's also very familiar with uh, Mr. Walter's processes and uh, yeah, another incredible contributor. And I just wish that he was still alive that I could shake his hand one day. Yeah, right. I mean, everybody should bow to Christian. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Hey, no Thanks problem. so much. Absolutely. Uh, family court is private. Is there a difference of approach? No, just roll in with exactly what we're doing. Uh, send it to the clerk right there and then show them the evidence of your interests. Again, if you are able to get something spit out from the recorder's office or, or land titles or the personal property security registry, um, get that little piece of paper. That's what's going to allow us to get our chancery listing court motions started. That I, again, when we just did that for Jody here in Tamara just uh, you know a couple of weeks ago, I was I was literally doing a little dance in the courtroom. Yeah, he was. <laughs> True story. So, so yeah, the, the private components, yeah, just keep trucking with what exactly we're talking about. Show up with the perfected interest and proof of it. And uh, again, we'll, we can help you with the uh, stitching the paperwork together. As a matter of fact, I don't think we've even posted, uh, for example, Jody's actual documents that we rolled into court with. I was mentioning there the other night that are, it, it's so short. I was, again, I, I was blown away at how short these things really are. They're not incredibly complicated. They're not technical. They're not for people with 20 years worth of experience. No, 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 no. They're, they're entry level. They're, I bet you a 12 year old could pull it off. Um, unless you've got five children. Okay. And, and they're very young and you're having a fight with a mother and you're trying to get to see them and it gets very technical, very difficult, very fast. Yeah. 
perfecting the interest, yeah perfecting the interest is 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 the mm -hmm. most critical component of what we're doing it opens the door so that the public policy or the public realm can no longer be applied to either your children or your mother or your grandmother or your dog even really you can, you can literally perfect your interest in your pets so what, what i figured what what i figured out darren is that um basically the mum is going to need an order from the court to adhere to some sort of schedule with very young children okay yep yeah you know and as the settlor, you're the one that can actually put those conditions in place because, or for the, for the mother here, she knows her situation best. It's absurd to have a third party with no, you know, uh, knowledge of the facts or, or no knowledge of the situation for these people to be acting as a committee to come in and dictate terms and policies. That whole thing is just absurd. But again, remember, that's because we're the ones that mucked up the birth certificate and that's just the way the system rolls. Once you get your priority back, you or the mother here, they would literally be laying down the, the gospel as to how she wants things to proceed and the ex-husband or the state, nobody can actually interfere with her wishes and desires. That sounds encouraging. Yep, yep. Excellent. Okay. Right on, my friend. Thank you, Fred. Um, Nathan, we'll just take one question from you because we uh, we asked you before, but uh, go for it. I know you're you're chomping at the bit, and you've been very polite. <laughs> hey guys, um, thank you. Uh, this is actually for a friend who couldn't um, couldn't attend uh, as he's as he's working um, this afternoon, but he's got a son um, who's looking at joining the military, and it's a requirement for them that um, that he get or for the military that he get the the jab. Yep. Um, what can be put in place there to, to stop that? Literally, get them to endorse, endorse that birth certificate like we're suggesting. And you can literally write it right on that birth certificate. I, yep. uh, I hereby the settlor uh, absolutely uh, and irrefutably refuse or um, will not participate in any public jab program. Literally write that yep. right on the birth certificate. Okay. Yep. Okay. It's literally that awesome. easy. And then, and then he could literally just forward a copy of that birth certificate, or he could probably even submit the original to the military and let them hold possession of it. Sure. Okay. Yep. 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 Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that. You bet, Nathan. Uh, Anton, we'll take your question, please. Yep. This will be the last one, you guys, just so you know. Until the next one meeting, I mean. Come to me, Anton. <laughs> oh, he raised his hand. And then he left. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to just repeat a repeat one I've, I've had earlier with uh, a bit of an issue with uh, with grandpa's will. Okay. Remember that one. Okay. Oh, how long this going to take? Um. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um. Well, basically, he's been uh, coerced into. Um, uh, changing, amending that will, and uh, at the moment he's. He's uh, in a good frame of mind, but at the time he would have been under medication to, to, to some degree and uh, all the nitty gritty is not um, entirely clear, but uh, most of the parties. Um, just wondering uh, uh, what, what, what sort of power, you know, the different factions have over, over all this. Okay, here's, here's a twist to that situation. The will actually takes effect 
after the passing or after the individual, you know, dies, that's when the will takes place. There's a whole area or a whole, a whole possibility where we can literally create a will for the living instead of a will for the dead. What is a will for the living? It's a trust. We'll get a trust built for this gentleman for the living. Actually, that is going to supersede a will because the trust will also deal with after the passing. So we're going to take advantage of the situation now while he's still here and he can actually liquidate his estate and he can distribute his estate the way he wants to while he's alive and not do it while he's not alive. So we can literally capture the essence of right now and deal with it versus waiting until it's, you know, till that event finally happens. So that would be the way I recommend to do it. You can set up heirs and beneficiaries to the estate. Uh, again, using the equitable side of this, of this equation, not just the legal side. Whenever someone passes away, we're always fighting over the legal estate. Nobody ever thinks to, well, what about the equitable estate? Nobody even knew that that existed. So we're fighting publicly for a, a public estate. I am, I'm of the opinion, who cares about that one? That one's just the peas and carrots. I want the meat and potatoes. Get that trust set up, get that funding set up and get him enjoying during the time that he has left as much as he can. And you know what? Lo and behold, that might put a spark of life back into the gentleman and he actually might even, you know, be around a little longer than maybe he would have before because he's just so happy with a new situation. That spark, uh, you know, I, th that might do some incredible things for him. So I would definitely recommend doing that. All right. Well, it's a matter of, it's a matter of getting people to, to actually comprehend the magnitude of, of what you guys are talking about. And unfortunately, everyone's so indoctrinated that they that I'm, I'm banging my head against the wall. So I'm going to have to massage every granule of everyone's being sure. one by one. Yeah. And then, then die because of it and I lose all my chi. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and again, again, it is a bit of an undertaking, uh, but that's what we are all here for. And again, this collective wisdom and the knowledge that we're all bringing together, uh, we're going to simplify this. We're going to make this better, easier, uh, more, more tangible um, so that it just puts us in a better position overall, starting right away. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, everybody, we went an hour over. We tried to get to as many questions um, as possible for all of you guys. So I'm sorry, there were some that I deliberately missed because a lot, a couple of them were quite elementary and beginner questions. So again, go back to our newbies, go to the first video that we, we put out, um, start watching our videos. There's no sense us just repeating the same things over and over and over and over again. We wanted to specifically make this just for advanced. So that was wonderful. We did record this. We will be putting this up on our website as well. Um, I'll be tagging it on our Facebook page. We just signed up for BitChute as well. We've had quite a few people concerned that we were putting everything on, on YouTube and we do understand we have to diversify. So we have different platforms that we are going to be um, exploring, but BitChute is our, our, our recent one, which is really nice. We've heard about Odyssey as well, which we'll be doing. Telegram, you guys were asking about um, whether or not we have a Telegram set up. We don't yet, but Darren and I are going to be setting that up. 
up. He has one for his old Jedi Council, but we're going to convert that over to Divergence and bring everybody under one, one platform. So we'll kind of be spread out that way as well. Again, if you're not following me on my or on our website, please come and join um, because I post everything that's going on. So as long as you come and, and look at my, my page, I'll make sure you guys know when all of our meetings are going on. Um, and Nat, you asked for a personal um, uh, meeting. If you can just message me privately, I know you're in Israel and that is a, a sweet spot of ours that we want to de definitely handhold you guys and take care of you there just because of the conditions you guys are under. So please message me privately and Darren and I will, will figure out something for you. So yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So everything's going to be going up. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone that showed up. Please share this. If you can please put comments out there. Uh, let us know what you guys thought. Let us know if you guys want us to take a, a different route with our, our Zooms. We're very open to, you know, accommodating what it is that you guys are looking for. That's the whole purpose of this. And so if, if we there's a weak spot, please shed some light on it for us. And we will be more than happy to do that. Thanks again to Serena, to Fred, to the people that were jumping in on the chat to help us tonight. That was so wonderful. We really appreciate it and uh absolutely and again a big shout out to matt josh and to kim thank you guys so much for showing up and really helping us with this and to really launch this and let it take off okay everybody so have a wonderful evening we are sending you lots of love and you betcha stay tuned for our next one okay everybody bye take care everybody